0: I'm Alex Shaw
1: I'm Sharon Shaw And
0: And welcome welcome to to School of Movies (laughs) Kung Fu Hustle A commissioned episode sponsored by Alex Vargas and Joe G. Back with us to talk about this riotous martial arts comedy from the year 2004, we have Victoria lunaby Grieve. Hello, and
2: welcome, welcome to me being back. I guess that was where my brain was going. It's early. I'm only
0: halfway done with my coffee. Welcome so to me being back.
2: Welcome to me being here. <laughs>
0: Now, this is the second of two notable films written, directed by and starring Stephen Chow, the other being Shaolin Soccer from 2001, distributed by Miramax in the United States. A very unusual and joyful sports movie, not without its problems, though he has around a dozen movies to his name. These two being quite similar in tone, fairly released fairly close to each other and splendidly executed are, I would say, the cream of the crop so far. But we definitely need to track down and watch several of his other works, including a version of The Monkey King currently in production. I think he did a film called Mermaids. Mm-hmm. He did a version of Journey to the West, uh, which we did see and, and did not, it wasn't that massively m- remarkable. I remember a bit with a fish, but not what that bit with a fish involved. (laughs) That's a problem. If you can't remember much about the film, it kind of feels like, why was this made? Um, It's almost better to do a disastrous film than a film that just sort of sinks away from your memory. Unless that disastrous film is, say, The Last Airbender and you poisoned the well of the Avatar franchise. Anyway... This one, Kung Fu Hustle, is beautifully shot by cinematographer Hang Sang Poon who shot Ip Man 2, A Chinese Ghost Story, and Zoo Warriors by Chui Hark. And loads more, because it may have been his 20 years of experience behind the camera at the time, which helps this film look so great, and notably 17 years after Kung Fu Hustle, he is also still going. Also, Crucially, stunt coordination is overseen in Kung Fu Hustle by the greatest martial arts choreographer of all time, Mr. Yen Wu Ping, he of the Matrix trilogy, Kill Bill, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Hero, The House of Flying Daggers, Iron Monkey, Drunken Master, Fist of Legend, Ip Man 3, Ip Man 4, and Master Z. As a viewing experience, it veers back and forth between absurdity, character-based broad comedy conflict, extremely cartoonish action sequences, almost Laurel and Hardy levels of double-act shenanigans, some often shockingly unsettling violence, surprisingly heartfelt drama at times, some bits that we'd really like to change if we could, and jaw-droppingly elegant martial arts. Frankly, the fact that when it came time to deciding who was going to direct Shang-Chi, I'm honestly shocked and disappointed that Kevin Feige didn't have a Marvel napkin in his drawer upon which he'd written all the possible candidates, and it just said Stephen Chow on it. Though I'm sure Destin Daniel Cretton will do a great job. The plot of Kung Fu Hustle is a little bit Seven Samurai, with a twist, which also makes it a little bit Magnificent Seven, a little bit Three Amigos, Galaxy Quest, and A Bug's Life, again, with a twist. You see, the little town of Pigsty Alley is actually fairly able to defend itself from the bandits. The Axe Gang are these uh, 1930s kind of Prohibition-style Chinese gangsters, Uh, and in amongst the humble, bickering villages of this, honestly, it kind of reminds me of Asterix. Mm, you know, yes. Like as a, if, if you've ever read Asterix, or ever, never, if you've never heard of Asterix, it's about a bunch of plucky Gauls around about the year zero BC um, who hold out against Julius Caesar and his Romans. Um, you know, in Gauls it would be France. And the reason they're able to do so is because they have a druid named Gettifix who makes them a magic potion that allows them to duff up the Romans and always keep them away from their borders. In this, it's not everyone who's able to do that, but in amongst them are a couple of handy muscular scrappers and several bona fide Kung Fu masters, seemingly masquerading as ordinary and helpless people. And the hero doesn't come looking to save them. Sing, played by Stephen Chow and his partner Bones, are a pair of inept con men. I wrote con men last night. He described them as muggers. And I'm like, that's actually <laughs> probably a bit closer. They are rubbish con men. They, they aren't good at what they do. Grunkle Stan would call them noobs. Their attempts to muscle and grift these town folk, resulting in them getting royally slapped around and chased out of town on a rail. And the Axe Gang intensify their efforts to take over the area, bringing in increasingly dangerous hired thugs, and things get more bloody and desperate, with Sing kind of bouncing around in the middle, unsure of which side to help, like a complete Burke version of The Man With No Name in A Fistful of Dollars, or Toshiro Mifune in Yojimbo. And we shall now talk about that escalation, and the way that this film goes about being itself. I've got a list of the the core characters in this film. I feel like we should just tackle them one by one rather than reeling them all off at the beginning so that everyone knows who everyone is.
2: Well, part of the reason why I even ended up, you know, mentioning that I could be on this episode is because this is one of the only movies that I and my family watched so many times that the DVD wore out, and I didn't know that was possible (laughs) at the time. I actually had to track down a replacement DVD for my mother uh, after I moved out because she was just like, I wanted to watch this and it doesn't work anymore. Uh, And then also uh, Shaolin soccer was a particular favorite of an old friend of mine uh, who is unfortunately deceased Hmm. and um, getting to like, I I went back and rewatched that movie too for nostalgia's sake and for kind of in his memory uh, and also just to prepare myself for the, to for kung fu hustle because boy the cinematography is better in kung fu hustle but um and the cgi too but but it was a, a really good like revisiting like one two punch if you were if you would um yeah so i'm I'm glad that i could be here to talk a little bit about this this film and i'm excited well,
0: it's, <laughs> it's wonderful to have you and specifically i remember when i uh threw out what we were covering in the next few weeks of our commission season you were like ooh. Kung Fu Hustle. But also, I think, did you say uh, Orient Express as well?
2: Well, I I, I actually suggested doing Orient Express uh. before it was even commissioned back on uh, Knives Out, I think, because I was like, yeah, I could talk for an hour on the cinematography alone.
0: Well, then you're <laughs> going to be a recurring voice in the next few weeks. So that's, uh, that's pretty rad. Okay. Works now, let, let's let Sharon l- help us all laugh a little bit, because I... Uh, She took the time to scout out a whole bunch of different titles for this film in different territories. What do you have for us? Okay,
1: so basically uh, my my interest was piqued when we were reading the Wikipedia page and it mentioned uh, that between the various... International interpretations, shall we say, of the title of the movie. Um, some of them had actually been quite creative. And I went to the IMDb, which usually lists all of the alternative titles that a film goes out with, and translated some of them. And oh my, they get rather weird. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's make a list of the ones that are most inventive, shall we say. And this is kind of in order of how far it gets away from the original concept so uh, the original title was just a straight kung fu which doesn't really tell you a great deal
0: this is called kung fu oh so is it like the uh, series with um what's his fucking name uh asphyxi (laughs) wank
1: oh my (laughs) god just just say kill bill david carradine
0: david carradine so is it like the tv series with david carradine kung fu Is is it like that Oh, heavens no. <laughs> Is it set in the American West with uh, uh, the Kung Fu guy? No no, no. no? Just wandering from place to place? Not at getting all. Getting in adventures? No. Like the littlest hobo, but no. with high kicks? No. No.
1: Okay, okay. so um, the the world
0: title, which was a little more definitive. Also, if you type in Google uh, Kung Fu movie, you're going to get quite a few Kung Fu movies. Yes, you are. I and they direct... may
1: have decided we need another word in here just to make it a little bit easier to find this one.
0: I direct your attention to the movie Ninja. Also, I direct your attention to the movie "I," which I believe Yen Wuping had something to do with the uh, uh, choreography on. It was released in 2015. It is literally a capital letter I, and it's like, we didn't want anyone, anyone to, to find this. this. <laughs> that is burying a film on the internet. That is making a film no longer oh, exist.
1: Lord. Do you understand the concept of SEO? Sorry, what?
0: I went to to Rotten (laughs) Tomatoes and typed in just in the search box, I. And it went, oh, okay, um... There's two hundred and forty thousand seven hundred and twelve films <laughs> that with an start, I. With the letter I. No, 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 not even that. Start with the letter I. The, the third one I. down the list was Men in Black.
1: Oh my god! It's
0: just as long as it's got an I in it. <laughs> rotten Tomatoes will throw that up in your face. <laughs> so you
1: gonna be there for a while.
0: <sighs> I found it oh via the Lord. director in the end, okay, and well, that's it's something. it's apparently not particularly wonderful. But mm. uh, I did watch a, a, an, an action sequence where a bunch of beefy three hundred looking men surround the hero in a big gym, and then they all start doing that dancing Pecs thing at him. Like a da 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 I'm like, what am I watching? Anyway, that's I.
1: Right. Okay. So. Okay. So moving on. Moving on. Kung Fu, and then when it was released to the wider world, it was obviously Kung Fu Hustle. That's the title that it had in the UK, in America, and in various other English or not speaking. Uh, language speaking countries Um then we get on to the interpretations now I've I've got the English versions of the titles here because I don't trust my pronunciation to be able to uh, recite the international versions I have put these through Google Translate so the literal definition is probably a little bit question-marky. However, it is just a straight translation of what was on the IMDb page. I haven't put them back and forth through Google Translate for comedy value or anything like that. Okay. This is literally just the translation of what was on the page. So in Portuguese, uh, the title was, and I thought this was quite inventive, Kung Fusion. I kind of like that.
0: you got Confusion... Kung-fusion? Yeah,
1: the fusion. Anything
0: with Kung wordplay, Fu I love and Anything
1: it. else, yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty good. Because, of course, um, Kung-fu
0: hustle, it's like it's a hustle, it's a tussle, but also they're hustlers.
1: Yeah, well, so. see, the, it, it, I was a little bit disappointed that the they're hustlers aspect of the title kind of got lost in a lot of these translations. Most of them have gone with hustle as an interpretation. Is one of them just called meaning- Kung-fu mugger? No, no, it's not. But, but there's, there's a handful here that kind of build on that idea of the hustle and the tussle okay. concept. So uh, in Estonian, for example, it is called Kung Fu Ruckus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Polish, it's Kung Fu Frenzy. Okay. Uh, in Latvian, it's called Kung Fu Ruffle.
0: See, I could eat a Kung Fu ruffle. That sounds delicious. Yeah,
1: and, and I was thinking more like this is, this is like they had a very calm version in Latvia. It was like it was, it was a little bit of a ruffle, Ooh. but not particularly over the top.
0: I like that. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I,
2: I hear those Kung Fu ruffles really kick you in the face.
0: <laughs> they creep up on you.
1: <laughs> um, in Bulgarian, it was Kung Fu beets. Mm. Kind of emphasising the musical element, which isn't massive, but is definitely I there. I think if
0: anyone who was like really into DJing in mm. Bulgaria in 2004 went to see this, they were like, "Oh, I'm I'm expecting many kung fu beats." Then they'd have been like, They're "This is all Chinese opera. I can't <laughs> okay. jam to this."
1: Then then we start to uh, to diverge a little from that. Um,
0: Get that me to dare basic devil.
1: Interpretation. in French. This was called Crazy Kung Fu, which is not wrong.
0: Crazy kung fu.
1: Yeah, uh, in Vietnamese, it was great kung fu.
0: Well, I mean that's not inaccurate.
1: Exactly, it is
0: great kung fu.
1: Yeah, um, in Tamil, and I liked this one. I thought this was pretty good. Intimidation, RD.
0: I think Tamil might have been the country of origin of the movie I.
1: Well, Tamil is a language. Okay, but it's uh, it's. Um, I think it was released in India, the Tamil version. Yeah, Tamil language. Yeah, there you go.
0: That's, you I, correct. I was like Indian Tamil language action filler film with mm-hmm. the... Duh, 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 peck movie. Okay. I mean, yes. it's weird when a hundred dudes are doing that all at once.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, by the way, that the word RD, which is A-D-I, has another translation, but Google Translate couldn't pick up on it. It okay. just got that the first word meant intimidation. So I don't know whether it was meant to be like intimidation alley or intimidation gang or something like that. Okay. Uh, right. Then the last two... Really took the cake for me. Hungarian. the The Wikipedia page actually says that hung, the Hungarian title was Land of Punches, <laughs> <laughs> which again, not wrong.
0: It's it's missing out the kicks though. But
1: I it feels, I, I feel well, the kicks just, have been
0: shortchanged just, in that one. Really land second. of Punches. Because
1: I personally really liked the Google Translate interpretation of the Hungarian, which is the Land of Slaps. <laughs>
0: So this is a movie with slappers only?
1: So it would appear. Okay. Lots of slapping. But the best, the absolute pinnacle of these translations. Are you
0: saying, and the best, I must confess, I have saved for the, for the last, last, for I the ruler indeed. of this Kung Fu land. Okay.
1: This is the Ukrainian interpretation mm-hmm. of the title of Kung Fu Hustle via Google Translate. Okay. Disassembly in the style of Kung Fu. <laughs> 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 what?
0: You, I will disassemble in the style of Kung Fu.
1: Which I thought, frankly, was brilliant.
0: None of them really just get down how savvy this film is, how much of a giant homage to like all of the Kung Fu films of mm. old, the Shaw Brothers And not films. just
1: Kung Fu films either, but I, I would say that beyond Golden even... Golden
0: Harvest.
1: Beyond even Tarantino, Stephen Chow wears his influences on his sleeves so oh, like yeah. it's going out of fashion.
0: Absolutely. Um, okay, so the uh, the first question really is uh, why do you think the decision was made to set this in the 1930s and 40s? And we maybe needn't think too deeply into this because, from the sounds of it, they were just kind of having a lark. But maybe what does it accomplish?
2: A um, example of of my like n- non historical understanding of China from then. I know that there's a lot of characters and references to films and music and such from, like, an earlier era, but not usually from the 30s or 40s, I mm. don't think.
0: Sharon, anything?
1: I think the, for me, it just emphasised that gangster tone mm. that they they wanted to go for, and the, the, the framing of that sort of blah, prohibition. prohibition, post-prohibition era, it, it struck me that one of the the key elements of that that segment of history in between the uh, the depression in America, which which obviously had a degree of knock on effect to the rest of the world, although again my international history is not fantastic, and I don't know what extent that knock on effect was, and the effect of of World War Two when a lot of governments were forced to step in and take control over things which had become something of a free-for-all mm. after the Depression era. Um, so the the framework that you have here is that the, the Axe Gang is this big... Um, Uh, organised crime syndicate that covers a lot of the territory in this this area but they specifically point out that one of the reasons why Pigsty Alley and and places like it have been left alone so far is basically that they have no money Mm. there is no point in organised crime going in there to try and shake anybody down because there is nothing they could shake out of them
0: It's like uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham in the Fox and Bear version of uh, Robin Hood Mm. basically like...
1: Picking up the little bunny rabbit and shaking up and yeah. down to get the
0: coin out. A tapping that old dog's um, leg plaster cast to get mm. a couple of coins out exactly.
1: of it. Exactly. It's, it would be more effort than it was worth yeah. for what they would be able to extract from
0: that. You'd them. have to be a really cruel bastard to want to do that.
1: Exactly. It's not, well, it's not good business sense. You're putting too much energy into something that doesn't give you enough back from it. Hmm. Um so
0: it's a, it's the the it's squeezing a stone and going. Why
1: isn't there more blood? So given that the the point of the hero's ju- hero question mark inverted commas italics...
0: Oh, he's a scumbag. <laughs>
1: the the hero's journey for Singh is one where it, in the beginning of his his story when he's a young kid, he observes how. Bad guys win.
0: Through bullies.
1: Uh, Yeah, bullies walk away successful. It doesn't matter what I attempt to do to be a good person, I can't achieve it. Therefore, I'm going to decide that I want to be a villain instead. And by setting it in that sort of 30s, 40s era, that fits very well with that tone of... um, uh, a rise in in the the gangster mythology and mm. the the romance of of hey, being a bad guy is fun and profitable and everybody will love you.
0: Crime became successful and yeah. the gangsters are living extremely opulent lives Precisely. in beautiful Which, suits,
1: as a contrast to the depression era that everybody had just gone through. Yeah. My God, this was like the new aristocracy,
0: whereas pigsty Alley are in in rags, just effectively trying to make a living yeah
1: hmm. exactly and and by uh sort of separating themselves from that, uh, albeit that that separation is not of their doing, it's just because they're very, very poor, they also have a freedom about them that people who live under the shadow of the axe gang don't have, and also oh, they
0: do live under the shadow of the landlady well they
1: do, well yeah but. <laughs> That's sort of, you know, we're being beaten up by our own. That's okay.
0: She'll slap the taste right <laughs> out of your mouth.
1: Oh, my God, she will. <laughs> um. I, I, I smoke you know, everybody to death if okay.
0: she can't do uh, that. Victoria. Victoria,
2: go ahead. Yeah, you, you you as you were talking, it made me think, there are so many references in this film to western media. Mm. I wonder if there's a benefit to housing it in that like 30s style, very like gangstery because that is something Yeah, that, Al something, nah, see?
0: that kind yeah, of Yeah,
2: like they have literal Tommy guns, like mm. Chicago typewriters if you will. And mm. the there's some kind of like cross-pollination of that aesthetic mm. that that might help like more western viewers like kind of understand what's going on as well as just I don't know like there, there might be something there that fusion yeah, of this oh, yeah. like time period
0: i think yeah. that uh, combined with uh obviously with shaolin soccer that soccer is adored the world over so like shaolin soccer would be loved in brazil when they don't obviously they, they, they don't connect to that culture at all but they definitely connect to football sure oh sorry soccer.
2: So- <laughs> so- soccer. yeah
0: we don't see the police ever no like no one's oh. trying to stop the axe oh do we
2: well, at the very beginning, you see the the so in the very very beginning, the crocodile gang hmm. breaks into the quote unquote super crime fighters police station. Oh, okay, and then get their shit wrecked by the uh, the axe gang, and then the axe gang is like cops, like clean this up. And it's in the very beginning, it's shown that the cops are all under the pay; oh, they're being it. heavily bribed. I
0: own the police, so it's exactly that. right and.
2: I, I don't know how much you went into in your background on the casting. Well, there's a, there's a, we could talk about it for individual characters because there's a ton of people who are veterans of films from like the seventies, like actual, like various Kung Fu, like action films from the seventies. Mm-hmm. But, um, the head, uh, inspector Chan from the beginning of the film from the the super crime fighters division and, um, the boss of the crocodile gang are both like really famous, uh, Chinese directors from okay. like decades past that they specifically cast as, like, this kind of stunt casting. Nice.
0: Uh, The beginning, actually, is the bit I wanted to talk talk about. This is sometimes going to be a tough sell with people because if you've seen this movie and you love it and you sit down your aunt to watch Kung Fu Hustle, you might want to skip the first two chapters and just jump straight to Pigsty Alley because it's really violent and, like, nastily violent from the fucking get-go in a way that almost feels like they're going over the top. We watched an interview with Stephen Chow where a martial arts movie expert, big beardy guy who was definitely on board for all of these references, was like, you know, this, it seems kind of violent. At the beginning, the boss of the Crocodile Gang, he's running across the street and they toss an axe in slow motion and it just lops off his lower leg while he's running. So he's sort of like in slow motion, is like, oh, that doesn't work, no! And it's like, that would be shocking. Enough. And then he is killed with an axe. And then his gangster's mole, this terrified girl, is like, "Uh, Can I go? And Brother Sum, the leader of the uh, axe gang, says, Yeah, off you go. And then she uh, tries to run away and then gets blasted in the back with a Remington shotgun. And it kind of reminded me of Andy Serkis uh, in Black Panther going... Hey, bro, you you go running away off there, oh, just don't tell anyone and then shooting him in the back to make them look less look more like amateurs. But with this, it just seems to be brother Sum is trying to make an example of any gang that would stand up against him with the most you know, utterly heartless brutality. And it's so strong and it so doesn't quite match with the rest of the movie that I feel like it was an overstep. Any thoughts on the violence here or the violence throughout?
1: I I get what you mean about it. It seems different. It's it's to
0: establish that these are bad guys. Yeah. And then they start doing like a thriller dance Uh, with their axes. (laughs)
1: Which is constantly intercutting. And this crowd of dancers, this like coordinated crime gang dancers, just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. (laughs) And they're all dancing in perfect step.
0: And it's a great piece of music and a lovely bit of coordination. And it's intercut with horrendous pictures of violent murders. Yeah. Luckily in black and white.
1: does symbolically and, and visually neatly tell you the story of, of the Axe Gang mm. taking over more and more of the city and, and growing in influence? Oh, and-
0: actually, this bit does remind me of L.A. Confidential when uh, um, uh, Danny DeVito's talking us through the uh, the killing of the... Yeah, Mickey C's just gone to jail and all the lieutenants are being killed by persons unknown. There's lots of shots of them just dead. And it's mm. like, this is taking over a power vacuum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're I, used
0: to seeing this I,
1: I do, and it's, it, again, like a lot of the references here, it, it does seem to be being used as shorthand Maya Harris-Cohen
0: to... is Mickey C. Sorry. Okay.
1: It does seem to be being used as shorthand to make a particular point, which, like I said, is is the growing influence of this one particular gang. But... but... the 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 violence in the rest of the film is very, very comic.
0: Yeah. It's cartoonish... With a bit of Mortal Combat, only the, a bit of Mortal Combat. They
1: throw in. There's, I mean, there's there's blood and there's um, there's things which look a bit gross and icky.
0: People but, get punched and they dribble or spit blood everywhere yeah. occasionally. So
1: it's not as if it's it's not there, but
0: you. But don't it's not like have sickening bone exposure. Semi
1: realistic blood yeah. spray that you get at this point, yeah. and I, I think there and is specifically
0: like, the killing of this innocent girl who's like
1: the girl who gets just shot in the, shot the back. In the back. Yeah. It's so and much. It's, it's just it just feels cold and brutal and the only intersection I would say between the comic violence of the the rest of the movie and the the violence of this section here is when the guy gets his leg chopped off by the axe because it's like it just his lower leg just CG disappears Mm. (laughs) there's no bones sticking out there's no you don't see Actually, his
0: lower leg separates and just gets left behind yeah which is in keeping with a certain other sequence but
1: as he progresses it's like his trousers finish perfectly at the knee yeah it's not especially
0: messy I think honestly that would be enough and then You keep the actual murder off camera and don't kill his girlfriend.
1: I agree. And I do think that you don't want to go, or they they obviously didn't want to go too hard with the comedy violence at this point because it is much funnier when you bring it in Mm. later on and then it gradually. And inflict it upon the
0: Axe Gang. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: I think think there's a certain, like, leading into the comic violence. Honestly, I was shocked whenever I saw that this film was rated R, whenever I started watching it, Mm. because I always remember it being, like, more tame than that. Uh, but even those black and white shots interposed with the, the choreography, mm-hmm. uh, the dancing, um, they're kind of silly. Like you have a shot of a car and instead of being riddled with bullet holes, it just has axes all over it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spot that. It was a black and white. Thank yeah, you.
2: Yeah. So the, even some of those, like it kind of, there's something that is even so like, yes, the the axe gang are horrible murderous monsters, and Brother Sum, the the leader, is clearly a a bad guy, a monster. But in every scene, he's dancing, like even with the shotgun, like he 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 shoots the girl, yeah, and and then he just kind of like dances away with the shotgun. It's like what is happening? It's it's such a strange. Juxtaposition sounds
0: a little joker to me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, I think it feels like maybe your aunt would have enjoyed the film more if they just held that back mm. just a I little just, bit at the beginning. I,
1: I feel like it's not entirely asynchronous with the, the with with where they go for the rest of the film, but it just maybe feels like they needed to warm up to that that comic style a little bit more. Yeah. It's here, yeah. but it's a bit more subtle and it's a bit. More overshadowed with things like the blood spray and the shotgun blast and and things like that. Yeah, I, oh.
2: and I think it. I think it helps that it's primarily the villains mm. in this piece that are That's doing things true. that are actually grotesque because yeah. I think like the harpists later on that we'll talk about and then the beast are like they they are some shots and some scenes with that involve them that are like pretty brutal. Yes, but then you have anytime that Sing and Bones are trying to, like, do violent things, it is just cartoonishly bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the, you know, all of the, the masters and the landlord and the landlady and all of the fights that involve... The good guys, quote unquote, <laughs> are more cartoony, less graphic, less yeah. ridiculous, mm, yeah. with which that.
1: gives you more capacity to um, to continue to see them as heroes, even though when you're introduced to them, they might be a little bit mm. on the the violent side.
0: So to, yeah. to to move us to this actual first conflict, we see Pigsty Alley uh, soon after this, and we get introduced to a whole bunch of different um, folks, and um, there's a. Uh, I suppose we could set the scene. There's, there's a baker named Donut who specialises in rolling dough with these really long sticks. Mm. Well, which...
1: he's, um, he has a noodle restaurant.
0: Yeah, noodles. And um, uh, there's a, a guy called Cooley who uh, is, his speciality is stacking large amounts of packages on his back and being able to sort of kick them up from the ground to balance them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has perfect poise. And then there's a tailor who... okay. Victoria, do you want to talk about the depiction of the tailor before we find out about who the tailor really is?
2: Well, it's, oh, gosh. So (laughs) the the tailor is depicted in this, like, really flamboyantly feminine way, like the way that he runs, the Mm -hmm. way that he acts, the way that he talks is, like, very much this caricature of, like, a gay character. Mm -hmm. And they continuously call him fairy, refer to him as such. But I don't, there's something weird about it. Like, I wasn't offended while watching it. Like, it wasn't this this particularly, like, grotesque thing. It was like, okay, early 2000s, here we go. But then he turns out to be, you know, one of these hidden Kung Fu masters, as we'll get to. And they even describe the the style that he uses as being strong yet delicate mm-hmm. in a way that is, like, ties in with his personality as it is, you know, they're they're making jokes about it. But at the same time, it is, like... Recognized as being an inherent quality of, like, who he is. And it's, I don't know, like, there's something about it. It is it is a, um, like, a gross caricature of the time period, but it doesn't really have the teeth that I would be expecting from something that was like more wrongheaded, if that makes sense.
1: Mm, yeah, and I I would say I'm inclined to agree. And there's three specific things that, are, that occurred to me while we were watching it that, for me, kind of um, de-intensify what could be the potential um, teeth of this particular stereotype. Mm. So first off, there's the fact that even though this effeminate stereotypical Um, way of moving and way of talking is very much played up in this character. It doesn't have any impact on the degree to which he is accepted by the town. Mm. So he is very much one of them and then as it transpires later that he is one of the three Kung Fu Masters that's been living within them, he is very much one of the trio of of Kung Fu Masters. It's Mm. never something that's like it it marks him as an outsider who is rejected by anybody else. Mm. Mm. The only person who kind of really picks on it specifically is the land lady and it is in context and of landlord is, and who landlord. teases him a little yeah. but, it's, but
0: it's not really in a spiteful very much way it's, it's, more into the,
1: it's very much folded into the concept that they are picking on everybody and this just happens to be the thing that they are picking on him about mm. so that was one of them
0: it's still a little uncomfortable for me yeah, but yeah
1: no I understand
0: it is yeah, extremely I- empowering to see a gay character Kicking wholesale ass when he finally does get to. <laughs>
1: well, indeed. Um, the second thing is that the uh, the hairdresser is also yeah. implied to be uh, potentially gay and is referred to in, in similar manner by mm. the others. Mm. He is a little bit effeminate in his uh, portrayal, but nowhere near as
2: much, which then gives you this indication of degree. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, so the hairdresser, I did want to specifically mention because I was, okay. I was almost more offended by the way that the camera treated the hairdresser uh. than any other aspect of the movie treated either character. Okay, because yes. they continuously show that his pants are pulled down, and it continuously yeah. shows characters like looking at his ass and him like kind of looking back at them in like a coquettish manner, and like,
0: okay,
2: there's something about that that rubbed me. The wrong way, way more than any of the ways that the the quote unquote, uh, and it's. I, I was looking in the credits to see if he had a different name. The tailor is literally credited as Fairy Taylor. the Tailor. Oh,
0: Fairy right. oh, the Tailor. Brilliant. Yeah, splendid.
2: <clears throat> okay. <So. laughs>
1: I thought his name was just Taylor. <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous you are your
0: job and a slur there you go enjoy uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. you so, go. but I wonder if that's a translation thing mm. right like I yeah. wonder if the word that they were using that is translated as, as I, I just wonder if that is a slur in the original Chinese in the same way like it, there's a there's a there's a way that I could see like that being a um a, a, a function of the translation mm. rather than an inherent like they intended it to be this like lighter slur. Yeah,
0: I definitely don't know uh, anywhere near enough about how LGBTQ culture is viewed in China now, how it was in the thirties. Mm. And it's something that Ooh. other people would be able to tell me more about. I'm sure do. If, yeah. if, if you can tell us a bit more on this one, folks do let us know. Uh, we are on yeah. the discord, always chatting about movies. Mm.
2: E- even, even what I know, like we don't have an hour to get into it, yeah. but it's <laughs> not, it, suffice it to say it's pretty much the same way as it is most other places urban areas it's either ignored or relatively accepted rural areas it's it's not considered appropriate but you can find some some small groups of affirming individuals in the yeah. rural areas you but know you're...
0: hobbiton was not particularly lgbtq friendly <laughs> <laughs>
1: um the uh, but yeah the the uh, the head the Taylor, as you say, Victoria, is, is um, all the... Sorry, put that the other way around. The hairdresser is uh, sexualised much more The the tailor is not really sexualised at all. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that could very well be to do with the discrepancy in age. Ultimately, he is an older guy. But the third thing um, for me was the fact that it's how he behaves at the beginning when we first meet him, mm. it's how he behaves when we find out that he is a kung fu master, mm-hmm. and it's it's still how he's sort of moving and gesturing towards the very end of his arc. Mm. So it's it's a consistency with him as a person, it's not anything like, you know, he's, he's using these affectations to conceal the fact that he's tough as nails right. or, or anything like that. Okay.
0: Uh, there's two other core characters for um, uh, Pigsty Alley, and that is the landlord and landlady. The landlady could, if you only saw a bit of it, be interpreted as kind of a misogynistic, hateful mother-in-law type, you know, rollers and a rolling pin, Andy Cap character. But it doesn't take much of this film for you to realise that, A, um, she's tough as fucking nails, and maybe tougher than anyone else in the film uh, and B she's funny as fuck like everything she does she's got this drooping cigarette all the time and this disapproving expression and when she moves when you aren't like when you aren't seeing her and sometimes when you are it's this kind of scampering like like a cartoon um, like she's this elemental force of kind of it's, it's very kind of like broken maternal fury, just mm. sort of in there. Well, it's
1: that sort of um, the the matriarch yeah. who holds all the strings for everybody, including the somewhat henpecked husband.
0: Mm. So while she treats uh, most of the rest of Pigsty Alley with uh, a degree of contempt, she mm. also protects Quite a large them.
1: degree of contempt. <laughs> uh,
0: she she uh, she treats her husband with a large degree. Of contempt, the rest of them in a kind of a "shut up, you" mm. kind of way. Yeah, and she um,
2: smacks people across the the, the alleyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one of the one of the things that
1: made me laugh more than I would really have expected it to was when we were watching the deleted scenes and the bloopers. The number of times that. They had to cut and redo a scene because the way she was blowing smoke in whatever other actor she was working with's face kept making them cough at exactly the yeah. wrong moment.
0: They're trying to do a dramatic performance, and they're like, "I'm
1: dying." <coughs> <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be funny, but it just the, the repetition of it just amused me. It's I like, feel at like this they should have Are you not that just in. getting rid of the cigarette?
0: Just leave that in. That's a great running gag. Mm. Um, <laughs> So,
2: uh, can can I mention a couple of, like, meta-production things about the two of them and Pigsty Alley in Please.
0: general? Oh, no, we haven't really talked about Landlord, so let, let's just mention Landlord first and yes. then go for your life. Uh, okay. Landlord is this, like I say, henpecked husband. He's got this kind of oily, like, you know, like kind of a little sleazy. He's like, he's horning after this girl called... Jane. Rabbit, Rabbit-tooth Jane.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, who's this, you know, pretty girl who has a very kind of... E- 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 smile about... Uh, <laughs> But I, there's no other way to describe it. But, like, he's horning in on her and that makes the landlady furious with him. And, again, this is a See, cartoon. I
1: was, I was going to observe that Jane runs around in, in sort of negligee and, and um, underwear most of the time. But half this town run around in their equivalent of pyjamas.
0: Because where they filmed it was hotter than the sun. <laughs> When uh, uh, Stephen Shao actually finally turns up, there's this heat haze. There's no effect there. It really was that hot.
1: <laughs> I wondered about that.
0: So, like, during a lot of the Kung Fu fights in this sort of... It's, it's basically sort of an enclosed courtyard square of high-rise, shitty little apartment buildings. Old, old style. Yeah. And during a lot of the actual brawls, people were being taken off set with heat exhaustion because, like, there were all the axe gang are wearing full suits and top hats and trying to, like, fight against... Like, of of course he beat them. (laughs) They're like, oh, one more second. Jesus Christ. It's like the Crazy 88, but crazier. Mm.
1: The costume designer did actually say that uh, she tried to give people white clothes wherever she could because Mm. it would be more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Um, And, and yeah, the the landlord is, like, kind of... um, rubbery and sleazy and and just seems to be a little bit ineffectual and sort of yes mom to his his wife the whole time and they of course are hiding whole extra stuff about themselves as well so we'll get to that soon and go for your life victoria on production okay
2: <laughs> right, so one of the things because I, I ended up looking into a lot of the casting and production and references in the movie because I, I just kept finding little references to things. So the pigsty alley is actually designed as a reference to a movie from 1973 called the house of 72 tenants, oh. which was itself like the highest grossing film of 1973 in China and like changed the film industry of the country. Oh, wow. And I want to read you the description the like three sentence description of that movie. The 72 inhabitants of a dilapidated tenement Live under the thumb of a heartless landlady And her buffoonish husband <laughs> the, arrival, the arrival of a defiant new tenant Sets their downfall in motion The residents pool their resources to prevent evictions Deflect targeted harassment by a corrupt po- policeman Rescue the landlord's adopted daughter And ultimately prevent their home from being sold And
0: oh, uh, so, so this it, is it, a play on that whole thing
2: yeah, it's a it's a straight up like reference to it that they that they created. Um and then as like a real quick aside, and I wish I knew how to pronounce their names better and I feel bad, the the landlord is played by uh Yuan Hua, mm-hmm. who is a this former student of like acting and was in a bazillion films in the seventies, including being the stunt double for Bruce Lee. Oh nice. Wow. Oh so, wait a second. It, he, was
0: was he in uh, I wanna say Game I, of I, Death?
2: He was in over a hundred films, so I, oh, I, maybe I don't know the specifics. I, I, I could real quick look that up, but no, uh, I've looked it up his,
0: for you, so you carry on. His
2: filmography is is massive, uh, from what I could find. Uh, but he specifically uh, counts Kung Fu Hustle as the peak of his career, which I think is really cute. Um,
0: well, he's really and, memorable. Like you, you, you carry landlord home with you along with landlady.
2: Yeah, so Landlady, uh, who's played by uh, Yuan Kui, did not audition for the role, but instead showed up at her friend's audition, and she was sitting there in the background smoking a cigarette with a sarcastic expression, and that won her the part.
0: <laughs> you there, uh, smoking the cigarette.
2: That uh, She is. was a stupid... Fuck off.
0: Of- okay, you definitely get the part. <laughs>
2: She was a student of a uh, of I think the same aca- Drama Academy as the uh, landlord, and uh, she actually appeared in the '74 James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, she was one of the
0: two kung fu girls who beats up various people trying to come after Roger Moore. I recall that. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then she retired from films in the '80s and came back for Kung Fu Hustle, uh, like after this 19-year retirement. I'm so much I think that is so cool. Like these two characters who are themselves in the film, as we find out like retired Kung Fu masters Mm. are like meta contextually, semi-retired Kung Fu masters in the film industry. Yeah,
1: That's a really nice touch actually. And that also, that puts a slant on um, one of the best comedy lines in the film. Um, And I will say some of the comic timing in this is astounding. One of the first bits that really struck me excuse the pun, um, how well they slide some of the visual and audio gags in this together is when um, the uh, landlord falls and then a plant pot falls on his head Mm -hmm. and then the plant pot just falls away and the plant itself in the soil just remains sat there on the back of his head
0: (laughs) kind of settles a little bit
1: (laughs) absolutely and I don't know why that's so funny but it is
0: and then later on when the axe gang turn up uh, the landlord's like kind of a leave me out of this he's still lying face down and he grabs what I I can only believe is horse shit and pulls it in around his head just (laughs) like
1: so he can make himself look like a plant
0: this was my worst lowest moment but at least they didn't kick me again
1: indeed yes (laughs) Um, but the the line in particular that um, that is incredibly funny is towards the end when uh, they see a, a particular character fighting, and observe that he could be. Oh a- uh,
0: yeah, no, that's it. They, they mention several times that their son was killed in a kung fu fight, so they've they've got this kind of. Um, love-hate relationship with just the, the notion of fighting. Mm. Um, and they they mutter, uh, of, of our hero, question mark, um, you know, he could be uh, the greatest Kung Fu fighter of all time. And um, then they, they exchange, well, he could be a lawyer or a doctor.
1: And she says, or even better... A stunt man.
0: Does she say even better or just... Or probably a stuntman.
1: But just if you take that in context of them being these sort of uh, older, experienced kung fu movie actors, that would be pretty prominent in their list of things that you could do with your life. Well,
0: he was in Fist of Fury as man who mocks Chen at the gate. Un- uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> I mocked Bruce Lee and lived. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that that that's also fun to, uh, again meta-contextually because uh stephen chow's character in shaolin soccer who mm. is also named sing uh oh. it, like positions his entire like life and existence to to emulate bruce lee mm. and i think that's very like it's it's funny in a way like he's kind of a stunt double in that movie it's very they, there's a lot of connections between the characters at least in the beginning and it's i don't know i just think it's fun from this meta contextual
0: standpoint oh uh, we don't tend to be like those snooty subs not dubs uh uh, folks but in this case subs not dubs because the the dub of this the the voices just don't work they don't have the same comic timing and that one line maybe he'll probably just be a stuntman is switched to or one of the greatest kung fu fighters of all time it's like
2: uh, uh, that's that's
0: that's not much of a joke. Mm. That's like that's mm. okay, okay, fair enough. So yeah, uh, yeah that's My a Blu-ray good way to started. ruin a comedy.
2: My Blu-ray started with the dub, ah. and I was just like, oh, oh no! You gotta what throw that,
0: that shit out. <laughs> okay, so um, what basically happens is uh, our hero, such as he is, sing turns up. With his, uh, his buddy Bone, who I believe he was the weight vest in uh, Shaolin Soccer, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, you get quite a few uh, returning from uh, Shaolin Soccer. The uh, brother Sum, the main villain in this, was the goalie, who deliberately dresses like Bruce Lee and does a lot of ha-ha stuff in the goal.
2: Incredible. And and the uh, the guy with the glasses on the bus that Singh tries to bully and then gets his ass kicked mm-hmm. is the bully from Shaolin Soccer who uh, leads the rival soccer gang that beats the crap out of them the first time before they get all their powers back. The evil team. They're no, literally no, the called first the- one. All oh, right, sorry. It's it's the ragtag band of like. Cheating soccer players that they train against that whack them with a wrench. Oh yeah, like, that was it. Where they're sitting there and they're like, "Now, no cheating!" And then a wrench falls out of his pants. We might
0: just, end up doing that. So yeah, let's 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 save uh, Shaolin Soccer for for later. Um, <laughs> right. But so yeah, Sing is Stephen Shao, who we haven't really ever been able to talk about on this show because these are his, those are his two films, mm. and he has this. Splendid, comedic, on-screen presence. And he's actually quite shy in real life during this interview. He was he was a little cagey, almost a little defensive at times. I was like, I was expecting him to be the Taika Waititi of Hong Kong cinema. But um, in in the film, this is why I say that he should be directing a Marvel, because he has that kind of Star-Lord scumbag thing kind of going on about him. He first off uh, like tries to get a haircut for his uh, mate and then not pay for it. And because his mate's gotten an, a pair of axes tattooed on him, He's like, ah, see, he's one of the axe gang. I shouldn't have to pay you 50 cents for this thing. And then he he gets slapped around. But what ends up happening is the axe gang turn up. He creates a problem for himself with the axe gang, who then draw reinforcements. They fire a flare up into the air, which turns into a giant firework axe in the sky. And the, like, a hundred dudes in suits with axes and top hats turn up. And this is a, a, a case of, okay, so, like did did you start all this like what like and and eventually basically our hero is just sort of shunted to one side mm. as the actual protectors of this village turn up who are like i said the tailor uh coolie and um donut uh who just spring from the sides and start taking on the axe gang now this is the first proper kung fu fight in the film and it is f- fucking spectacular. Cooley's very good with kicks, like he's got, you know, an an excellent kind of, like, he starts to disappear under all these axe gang bodies, so um, Taylor like, tears down his curtain rails and then flings his hands up so that all these metal rings, just, just broad metal rings just come sliding down onto his wrist, and his style when he runs back outside is kind of this, using the rings as uh, shields and offensive weapons at the same it time. It's like
1: um, iron arm, yeah. kind
0: of. And it's, it's, it kind of evokes that wushu fantasy, you know, like one... Each of these fighters has one move that they are famed for. So it's like iron crane or, you know, thunder fist or, you know, blue leg... Or, uh, which again, they evoke that in Shaolin Soccer, because every one of them has like a one move, which just happens to be really useful in football. A donut comes out and uses the long sticks that he's been using to roll his dough with, and he just happens to be a master of the bow staff and, and just starts like, thwacking them around the place. And honestly, being directed by Yan Wu-Ping, who had just come off the two Matrix sequels, all of these black-suited villains attacking our heroes, it evokes those fights, but it's so much more joyful. And even though there is kind of shonky CG, because it's a comedy, when they get like knocked away like um, uh, pinballs and sort of like ding, 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 and they're like smacking them around, it feels appropriate. And they're like flung through doorways, and you know, even though the CG is no, even not as good as the the, the, the rubbishy. Um, rubberiness of of that uh, burly brawl in in Matrix 2 it still feels like A, a parody of that and B, a repositioning of that within the correct genre I
2: I enjoy these these action scenes against like a bunch of black clad uh, nobodies mm. much more than the Matrix ones. Oh yeah. Um, and to, to, to your point the three masters are referred to by their styles names mm-hmm. in the film. They are literally called 12 Kicks, Iron Fist and the Hexagon Staff.
0: Nice!
2: <laughs> I think it's really fun.
0: Hexagon Staff would I'm assuming be because there's eight points that he sort of flings the staff around to in order to be able to disarm and dismantle his opponent in rapid succession
2: yeah nice. it's, it's it's really great
0: <laughs> yeah the hexagon being six <clears throat> okay
2: yeah hexagon is six.
0: Bollocks, that's an octagon <laughs> i was thinking of mma um <laughs> i'll leave that in for
1: what, <laughs> one thing that I, I really appreciate about this and this goes back to what you were saying about it being like the magnificent seven with a twist is
0: that you're not needed the, here hero Fuck off.
1: well yeah <laughs> basically you you protagonist sing and bones they turn up and all they do is draw the attention of the axe gang to this place yeah. that hitherto had been completely ignored by them
0: sing for a firecracker over his shoulder to try to intimidate uh, the people of Pigsty Alley, and it blows the head and hat slightly off one of the underleaders exactly, of the axe who gang. Who just
1: happened to be walking past at the time. But but this is sort of on the back of having arrived and refused to pay for Bones's haircut and tried. <laughs>
0: Uh, With bones is Star Trek.
1: Sorry, um, with having tried with no degree of success to intimidate these people, he kind of he tries to pick a fight to show them how tough he really is and sort of cycles through this sequence of selecting and rejecting potential opponents when he realises that there's more to them than meets the eye. So he calls out, first off, he's like, he wants to fight this guy who looks really short and skinny. And then it turns out that the guy was sitting down, and he stands up, and he's like this eight-foot-tall, um could just step on sing, yeah. frankly.
0: Abraham Lincoln.
1: Yeah, that's the one. Um, and he's just like, no 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 not you you sit down. And then he's like picks somebody else who looks skinny and is wearing glasses and he muscles his way through and he's huge. <laughs> just this big the, like diamond-shaped guy.
0: <laughs> and so then he picks on a small boy. Yeah, And he's like, you're, so you're, then, then it
1: comes forward and he's built exactly the same way. <laughs> it's
0: like, ah, it's like, this is just to illustrate that Pigsty Alley should be able to Defend Absolutely. themselves yeah. so against they, they, attack They
1: have this um, this selection of people Who initially look to be Sort of relatively ineffectual And had this sort of uh, day-to-day life that That's uh, in poverty And But they all seem to sort of Have each other and have each other's backs And then when the, the Kung Fu masters Come out, it's like These are just the tip of the spear That Pigsty Alley is They are yeah. all pretty capable of, of um, Protecting themselves to some degree
0: Yeah and then when uh, uh, Sing and Bone creep back, because apparently they didn't get enough slapping the first time around, uh, they, are they try Is is Sing trying to throw a knife at the landlady?
1: Well, they're trying to get in on the fight because. Of, of... Part of what's motivating these two, Bone not so much, he just seems to be following Sing around. But part of what's motivating no Sing Obelix. is as we are about to find out, due to his flashback, he has this childhood where he tried to be a hero and failed and decided that, uh, you know, the villains get all the, the girls and the fun and the money, and so that's what I want to be. Well, okay, but like just
0: to explain that part of him so okay. that we can, so that our, our listeners can bond with Sing just a smidge more. Okay. He was sold a Kung Fu manual by this mystic. Cat weasel guy.
1: Specifically, somebody whose sales pitch incorporates wow, you look really special. Mm. You look like there's something about you that is just, you're the one.
0: And uh, so he gets the Kung Fu manual, reads it, uh, and sort of believes that he can do Kung Fu. Then he uh, sees a a little girl in the park with a, a all-day sucker lolly, just the the big kind. And she's being bullied by uh, a bunch of boys who want the lolly. And he rushes in to defend her, going on his own instinct of I will protect. Mm-hmm. And the boys kick the shit out of him yes. and then piss on him. And the manual, like yes. while he's cowering on the ground, It's and this really crucifying moment? In
1: particular, they point out that this thing costs about twenty cents yeah. uh, if you buy it in a shop. They destroy the guy his got his life savings off him, basically yeah. for it.
0: They destroy his illusions that uh, that he could be special, that the book was special. They basically make him a jaded little bastard yeah. from a very early age. Yeah.
1: So he then spends the rest of his um, like adolescence and early adulthood deciding that he's going to be a bad guy but he is really really shit at being a bad guy yeah
0: He's, he's just inept, yep. and it doesn't and it doesn't come naturally to him. Absolutely,
1: me. and where we find them at this point, they are basically trying to impress the Axe Gang hmm. so that they can join the Axe Gang, yep. because they can't look after themselves.
0: Basically, when he tries to bully people, they tend to lash back out at him and bang his head off the desk, or, yes. uh, or a bench, or, like I said, slap him around. And there's this one moment of, like, true Jackie Chan, Buster Keaton... Um, Like like Laurel and Hardy again Silent, like very visual comedy With this, not just one knife But a series of knives He tries to throw the knife It bounces back and embeds itself in his shoulder Mm -hmm. He tries to throw another knife That bounces back and hits him in the other shoulder So he's now got two knives Then his friend tries to throw a knife And the handle flies off which then bonks the uh, landlady on the head in the far distance and then his friend re- like puts the knife back and then accidentally sticks it in his shoulder again beside another one of the knives then realizes his mistake and pulls it out and then on a, like in a sort of no it's okay he goes oh okay and then puts it back in it's just this ex- like he's just going Aah! again it's visual comedy there's a reason we don't tend to describe comedy on this show but it's 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 just a really splendid moment of 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 just absurd levels of pain visited upon your hero. So clearly, you're not necessarily supposed to like him at all, and you're supposed to laugh when he's in pain. Um, but then he. Yeah.
2: bone picks up a cage to throw at the landlady oh, and it, accidentally yeah. dumps a bunch of venomous snakes i on yes. can't believe my, i forgot the my snakes note
1: regarding this bit was oh my god the knives dot 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 oh, oh my, my god, god the, the snakes. snakes
0: and so his friend says it's okay snakes uh, will will not bite you as long as uh, you can whistle some music and so he's like okay and there's these two very dangerous looking rearing up cobras on the left and right hand side and he's like Okay, well, what have I got to lose? Starts to whistle, and they both go, and then embed themselves in his lips, which later on become long and drooping and rubbery. It's like the fat hands thing in Star Trek. Mm. I love that. Um, but then he falls afoul of the landlady, and like as if all of this warm up wasn't enough, we are then treated to what can only be described as a roadrunner sequence in a live action comedy, where. She chases him with, like, her, her feet are sort of going, like, fucking Fred Flintstone, and he runs along the road. But I think it's, it's not enough. Like, this, this isn't even funny enough. He then uses the knives embedded in his left and right shoulders as wing mirrors to check how close she is. <laughs> this is fucking comedy genius, folks, right here. <sighs> uh, and yeah, there, there's it's just the whole sequence that ends up like that, like she ends up like splattered against a billboard, like Wiley e. Coyote. Mm. And um, again,
1: watching the behind-the-scenes stuff for these scenes where they're filming her with the blue stockings on, so that they can see G in the rapidly running legs, mm. and Stephen Chow just lying on this blue disc on the floor, spinning round yeah, and round. It's, and it's a
0: roundabout, and they're just being like spun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, Uh, This is the stuff that, if the film started with a smaller version of this, your aunt would really like it, as opposed to a woman getting shot in the back with a shotgun and a man being smashed to pieces with an axe. Okay, um, anything on this this stuff, Victoria?
2: Oh... (laughs) No, I just. There, there's something about the moment when Bone pulls the blade out of Singh's shoulder and then sticks it back in that, that gets me every time. Uh, th- this reminds me very specifically of one of the reviews that mm-hmm. the film got. It was described by. Uh, where did it go? By Roger Ebert as Jackie Chan and Buster Keaton meet Quentin Tarantino and Bugs Bunny. And, and that's, that's so pretty good. accurate. <laughs> It's so good in this scene in particular. Like, yeah. you literally, like, I don't know if you had seen that quote or not, but you literally evoked that with, say, saying Jackie Chan and Buster Keaton.
0: Well, then uh, me and Marjorie <laughs> are more close than I would imagine.
2: <clears throat> Apparently. Um, um, yeah. No, that's it. That, that it's report. so good, though. I, it's so silly. It's so goofy. It, it's... I love how the tone of this movie swings wildly from, Mm. like, serious drama to what is even happening right now.
0: (laughs) I mean, that that does make it feel slightly uneven, but the deliriousness of the absurdity... I think maybe might catch people off guard in the right way because mm. everything was serious up until that point. Yeah. And there's certainly bits of the film where you're actually supposed to tear up a little.
1: And I always do. And what I like about those bits, those moments of drama, is that they are used sporadically and spread out enough that it's it grounds you... Mm where the rest of the film is just as you say Victoria this kind of delirious joyous silly mm. and the the threading of those moments of drama throughout that kind of it's it's a way of reminding you that even a very silly story still has meaning and can still have purpose and um and can still like connect and mm. mean something
0: kind of like guardians of the galaxy yeah Um, So, effectively, Brother Sum, who we haven't really described too much, uh, like I said, he was the goalie in uh, um, Shaolin Soccer. He, you pointed out, is very hot.
1: He is very attractive, (laughs) I have to say. Apart from the teeth, which is deliberate. But
0: that's a, a fantastic piece of dressing for him. Mm. He is a handsome kind of slick back man. They, they they made everyone wear pomade, actual like, yeah, 1930s, like 1930s hair oil pomade, stuff. Yeah. It's disgusting. Like you've gotta wash you gotta wash it with shampoo, because otherwise it's yeah, oil. You gotta but,
1: wash well, it with washing up liquid.
0: That's it. It's just oil you put on your head. It's but like yeah so so he like, slicked back, wearing a suit. He dances all the time, as we mentioned. And, you know, he's sort of handsome, looks a little bit like Bruce Lee. He's got this sort of, like, you know, cute facial hair. But then when he opens his mouth, his teeth are, like, made of rotten wood or something. It is disgusting. Disgusting. But it's, at the same time, a really splendid way to show that all on the outside, total respectability and, like, this is what society would want you to be. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, rotten to the core.
1: There's a great little exchange between... um, Because the the sort of talking heads making of that they have to promote the film was uh, um, hosted by... The, the actor guy who, who plays, plays Brother Sum and the actor who plays Bone. Yeah. And they were uh, they were discussing their respective characters. Totally goofball and, in real life. Absolutely. Um, and, and the guy playing Brother Sum said, so the, the essence of my character is his special skill is insanity. <laughs> and, Bo- and the guy playing Bone is like, is insanity a special skill?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he strikes me as like this little high chair tyrant just someone who's never been told no Absolutely. so when he is told no he has a little tantrum fit which is usually results in horrendous violence
1: yeah. and it's I think it's quite telling as well that then in, in this the, the beginning section where as Victoria pointed out they kind of they they Go up against is not quite the right term for it, but the, the axe gang gets involved with the more established gangs of the city and sort of comes in and takes their mm-hmm. the bit of territory that they're going to have. And then you have this thing where their, their power and influence is building up. Um, Am I right in thinking that the axe gang is led by somebody who is older and more measured that we don't see very much of, but that Brother Sum is very much the the kind of boots on the ground leader?
0: Really? I thought Brother Sum was totally the leader. I've never caught the idea that it's actually there's someone else. I
1: may have been misinterpreting Uh it, but it's it's the bit when the beast is introduced further down the line. Mm.
0: Uh, One would assume it's Brother Sum's father, Father Sum.
1: (laughs) Possibly (laughs) so, yeah.
2: We'll have to talk about that more when we're talking about the scene when the beast is introduced, but I don't remember, I do not remember getting that same, uh, idea, but I want to mention that the leader of the crocodile gang at the very beginning also has horrendous teeth. So they specifically show that like the gang folks, the gang leaders have this like rotten core while Mm. all of the like kung fu masters regardless of what side they're on have like really good teeth and i I just think that's i I don't know it's it's nice aesthetic
0: even rabbit tooth jane has lovely white teeth Mm, but brother sum makes austin powers look like christopher reeve
1: well it's possibly possibly a bit of an implication there about um the the idea of um this is a bit of a weird thing to compare it to, but gout being a, an illness of mm. um, of excess, that it's something that if you're poor and all you have to live on is, is um, sort of meat and vegetables and that kind of thing, you, you're not going to get it because you're not eating all of the rich foods that people who are well, more
2: well off are. Mm. I mean, sugar is a luxury, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you can afford sugar, if you can afford to have your teeth rot, then... There might be something to that. I just assume that good key flow is a necessary part of dental hygiene. Well, yes. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Brother Sum, because uh, these three champions just saw off so many of his uh, axe gang with, without seemingly breaking a sweat, and even though they do fight to the bone, um, he hires two really frightening people to try and take them out. And it happens so subtly and quietly, just... Uh, it's it's at night, it's just sort of like crickets and uh, everyone's going to bed and Cooley's just sort of wandering around. He's like, what was that over there? And there's this, there's this sequence where you hear a Chinese piano playing and it's like this long cello-looking thing that gets plucked with fingers and it's sort of this creeping sound, like that. And you see sort of shadows on the wall and there's like, as the... Throom, notes play the shadows get cut in half so like a plant pot gets cut in half and then a cat jumps out of the frame of the camera and you see the cat's shadow get cut in half and a small splatter of blood and you're like oh my god what they just did to the cat and then Cooley turns around and his head is struck from his body and you're like what the fuck is this piano it's, it's well, a type so,
2: of harp mm-hmm. and it's called yeah. a guzheng
0: mm-hmm. okay
2: yeah well, and something I want to point out, uh, the actor playing uh, 12 Kicks, mm-hmm. who is Coolio, Jing uh, Yu, or Xing Yu mm-hmm. is um, apparently the Chinese equivalent of Sean Bean and dies in like every film he's in. Uh,
0: <laughs> I think that's really funny. So if he, he gets to the end of the film, you're like, this is most irregular. Yeah. <laughs> something wrong here. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he gets uh, uh, killed first and then uh, the uh, first the tailor and the um, uh, donut come out to face what eventually turn out to be these two terrifying looking... I'm going to call them Chinese vampires because they have so much uh, of of, Chinese vampire culture around them. They also seem like characters that might have appeared in Buffy. Uh, So they're kind of twins dressed the same, long grey max sunglasses at night, long fingers with scary-ass pointy nails... And um, they sit on no chairs with this uh, harp across their shared knees while they're strumming on it and throwing invisible blades with the sound of this music at these heroes who are horrendously killed.
2: They're, they're the evil Blues Brothers.
0: Basically, like, yes.
2: They, they, well, so the hats and the sunglasses, like the aesthetic that they went for was specifically to call back to the Blues Brothers. and Oh, seriously? And they... And whenever they're being interviewed by Brother Sum, they say, uh, strictly speaking, we're just musicians, which is a direct quote of the Blues Brothers. Like, there is a very – like, they are the bad guys, and I I really enjoy the harpists, even though I don't like seeing the three masters get cut down because they're Mm. great. Uh, There is something about them that I find, like – really entertaining and the fact that it is straight up like no no we're going to riff on these Blues Brothers things even with the most horrific characters in the film
0: yeah this scene like I said is creeping it's bone chilling and because they're able like because we've seen how incredibly skilled these champions are the fact that they're taken out it's not they have to fight for it and there is what appears to like you start to see like the outlines of scimitars flying through the air as this like as the notes become more sharp and jagged um, and then like skeleton warriors, um not the euphemism, start charging at them out of the darkness, and yeah, yeah they're 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 killed, but there are still two incredibly accomplished protectors in this particular uh pigsty alley. And then we finally get to see the landlord show that he's not just a doormat. He's sort of, I think one of their best powers, the landlord and landlady, is being able to be somewhere really fast without anyone seeing them arrive. So you got the, the landlord sort of shows up with his arms around both these men, just sort of in between. And when they attack him, his power, much like Poe in Kung Fu Panda, and we'll be coming back to Poe, put a pin in Poe, uh, is to just kind of rubberize his body and just like move around the punches so that these two vampires end up punching each other and effectively using their strength against them. And his incredible fluidity is maybe one of the only forgivable uses of millennial rubber because mm. god because... damn
2: when he flips <laughs> is, through the
0: air but
1: that's the point and I think this is where he's like... supposed
0: to be rubber at this exactly.
1: point exactly and this, this it seems apparent that there is a degree of careful thought that's gone into this the clothes that he wears is this kind of over the top pair of silk, silk pajamas. pajamas all the time and as a result the, the that pajamas material... all day
0: I like that well yeah well I did until <laughs> lockdown <laughs>
1: That material fits very well with that kind of rubberized movement and and that flow that you get. And I I mean I wrote it down as as being sort of drunken master style, but in the uh, the interview that Stephen Chow had with the the critic that you were talking about before, he's referring to it as uh, as Tai Chi, which obviously the, the movements and everything are and the mm. the. the Essence He's a waterbender. Of the, yeah, the essence of the philosophy behind Tai Chi is very much flow like water. Hmm. And that is basically what he does. And it means that they can't land a blow. Yeah, it's, it's
2: redirection of force yeah. is a lot of Tai Chi as well. You see it in Shaolin Soccer again, but yeah. uh, it, it's it's really great. And I just imagine him using it to deflect a lot of the domestic abuse that he receives at the, mm. the landlady. <laughs> that's like why their relationship works. Yeah. It's so while she's pounding he him, it. he's just kind it's of just going
0: Brawr, around Brawr, it, yeah. just yeah. pounding him and pounding him. Like,
2: no, no, it's different. That, that's a, that's a different thing. Okay. I mean... Happy
0: Landlady's different. Appreciation Day.
1: Well, indeed. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned that they seem like... The harpists seem like uh, Buffy villains. Mm. They actually did remind me a lot of the gentlemen in From the Hush, Hush episode.
0: Yeah, so. In,
1: in terms of their appearance, the way mm. they behave is, is different, yeah. but in terms of how they look. And the uh, the one of the best moves that they have is when a landlady comes up to face them Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the first time really that we get to see the the true impact of the lion's roar we've seen her use it on the the uh, residents she shouts at them more dialed down version of it but the harpist's move at this point is to they give this almighty strum and from the harp comes forth this cloud of what I can only describe as skeleton, skeleton warriors. warriors.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so so her her power is to be able to go and like because the cigarette's there all the time, there's this wonderful visual of her like when she starts to inhale, the whole cigarette gets smoked down to the butt in one moment as her boobs become enormous. Again, like I said, this broken matriarchal force. Mm. And then just just screams like like fucking black canary screams at them, but at the same time because there's that that cigarette, it just kind of flies forth in slow motion out of her mouth as she sort of blows their clothes off, Mm -hmm. and then just sends them you know just decimates them and turns them into bits.
2: Yes, I I love it because they're crawling away in their underwear and they're mm. like the lion's roar is real.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um. And then, like I said, that 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 mo- they, their ability to just be somewhere really quickly. So, Brother Sum and his assistant uh, sort of looking out the uh, windows of their vintage car. Then Brother Sum looks at the driver, and then it's the landlord who's sitting with the driver, and then sort of looks back. And the landlady is sitting between them again, with her arms around them. In this kind of, you weren't even you didn't even know how she got there, and then she does this kind of like she doesn't say anything to him. She just sort of gestures, like points you them uh-uh. and then she sort of like balls her hand into her fist and then just sort of pushes it forwards under his chin and then a little bit more and then pushes her chin up and then sort of just brings the fist back extends a thumb and it just rubs it across her nose like Bruce Lee and it's like this is the most fucking badass bitch in the entire world and it's, it's, it's an incredibly gratifying moment
2: and, and then, as they're driving away, Brother Sum is trying to, like, hold his cigar and light it, and he's shaking too much, mm. and they accidentally light that terrible oil that's on his head.
0: Ah, of course. <laughs> that is a little bit of extra karma, because he was actually going to set a mother and her child on fire in one of those, Jesus this is getting a bit hard moments, before the three champions reveal themselves and defend the pigsty alley. So, yeah. Um, Having just watched uh, uh, Birds of Prey again, there's actually a little bit of connectivity with that, that level of heightened, stylized, kind of like fending off a really just heartless crime syndicate and just, just, again, this this joyous kicking of wholesale ass. And both this and Birds of Prey rely on you underestimating the abilities of these various characters and then them coming forwards with far more than you would ever have expected from them.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: Um, so the landlords then fight. The Actually, before we get on to the next bit of fighting, because we've been talking about fighting for a while, let's talk about Fong. Remember that little girl with the lolly we mentioned earlier? She is now an ice cream lady, and she is mute. And I recall very specifically Stephen Chow uh, asked the actress, would you like to be a character who speaks? And she actually liked the challenge of being mute, because you can't actually... Say anything to express yourself. It has to be all body posture and facial expression, and well, well, she does the specifically
1: eyes. Use um, sign language at one point.
0: Yeah, and but like, like a lot in her eyes. But she's also an introvert, which she, uh, the actress, uh, uh, pointed out, which means that she can't even make big, wild, elaborate um, body movements. It's not really in her. So she is. There's almost a feeling like she's desperately trying to get certain people to understand what she means and because they're all too busy shouting and, and and shoving her around they're not getting it and this was one of the bits of the movie that kind of like has over like it, it originally made me a little uncomfortable and over time I've not become more comfortable with it Sharon if like basically because she's trying to connect with our hero sing and he treats her like dog shit
1: yeah yeah he does um I think ultimately the I mean, I think Fong is a lovely character. She's a very sweet girl and she is a key part of how uh, Sing's character... Not evolves exactly. She doesn't play a big part in how he moves through the film as a whole, but she is... Instrumental to uh, indicating his outlook on the world at any given moment. Basically, if he is looking on her with favour, then that means he's on the right path. If he is trying to um, either ignore her or take advantage of her, he's going down the wrong route.
0: She's his canary down the mine. She's,
1: well, OK, the, the way that it kind of um, occurred to me that she is used in the story is, um, as Dulcinea is used in um, The Man of La Mancha. Yeah. As uh, uh, Don Quixote puts it, a, a woman is the Quixote. very... Sorry. Well, no, he is Don Quixote when he says it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> a woman is the very soul of man. A woman is glory. Mm-hmm. And I- Only
0: Singh approaches this in a kind of, give me your ice cream or I'll smash your face in.
1: Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so she's not really... Um, it, much of a character in her own right in the story, except to the degree that she is shown to have great forbearance and, and tolerance for the shit that various assorted people dump on
0: her. Specifically, she recognised in the park all those years ago that he did try to actually save yeah. her. Again, damsel in distress. But she yeah. was being bullied by five dudes. Mm. And um, she... I think she offers him the lolly in the end and he smacks it out she, of her hand and in the, it shatters. In the,
1: in, initially, he's... Right, so the the lolly that the bullies were originally trying to steal from her, when they're in the park, she offers it to him and we don't see what happens when they were kids, but she has kept... He didn't take it because she's still got it. She mm. has kept that lolly all this time um, in a tin in her ice cream tray. Ah,
0: and then he throws it And she it
1: offers it to him. Basically, this is where the sign language comes in. She, what she's gesturing to him is... I know you. Back when this happened, look here. See this lolly. This is from that incident. Mm. And at that point, he is feeling. He's at his lowest, and he She's knows reminding that he's reminding him of doing the time the wrong of his. Thing. Exactly. He's he's kind of
0: yeah. The, his he's, greatest he's humiliation. He's
1: trying to grab at uh, being a. a a robber uh, committing crimes but he can't even do that right all he can turn over is a little ice cream trolley that's got however many pennies in the in the um kitty. cash kitty mm. and so he smacks the lolly out of her hand and it shatters um and then the lolly comes back later on um as a, a way of them reconnecting and again it becomes a symbol of of him trying to uh follow his Right instincts. Um, so, I, I, it would have been nice to see more development with her as a character. But I'm, I, I kind of like the way she is symbolic of this sort of clear-eyed optimism that can still see the good in him, even when he's doing his level best to cover it up with shitty behavior and and not washing.
0: I would say if the landlady wasn't present in this film, it would have a real problem with female representation. Because the landlady's there, we've got this extreme of capability and violence, and this extreme of vulnerability and passivity.
1: Mm. Yeah, and Jane as well, you've got a little bit more uh, active um behavior in jane even though mm. she is a really really tiny character but also i think that the way most of the people are portrayed in this are it's extreme yeah there's stereotypes and, and not
0: not an overabundance fantasy. of nuance it's,
1: it's mythical it's it's mm. that sort of cartoonish comedy over the top so she actually ends up feeling a little bit more real because she is understated mm
0: and she tries to piece the lollipop back together and it's it's kind of heartbreaking she sort of like it she, she gets it perfectly together and then mm. picks it up mm. and then it just sort of crumbles back away in a kind of there's some things you can't mend very disheartening moment for her and it it also seems to Indicate that he can't really come out of this. He's stuck mm. down being a scumbag.
1: Yeah, in particular, he can't come out of this at the hands of somebody else. Mm. He is going to have to take the action. He can't just rely on other people to pull him out of the pit.
0: Which brings us to the beast, uh, which is uh, after his um, vampire dudes get their ass their their clocks cleaned by the lion's roar, uh, brother. Sum... Breaks out like the Hannibal Lecter of kung fu guys, and like there's this huge build-up of oh my god, the beast! What's he going to be like? Oh my god! And then they open the door, and it's just this little old gimmer on the toilet reading really a newspaper. <laughs> and then they cut to him in, just sitting in the middle of a room on a on a de- a deck chair, just on, on like a little canvas chair, and he's got these sandals on, and he's dangling, and he does know it.
2: Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, it's it's perhaps important to say that brother sum actually hire sing to do it well like Ah. allow sing to be like in the axe gang right Mm -hmm. because sing's really good at picking locks so so the the axe gang are like oh well we can use this guy now so why don't you offer him a position so like when sing is at his absolute lowest he he drives bone away he ruined things with fong the axe gang show up to show him that he can get even lower than that yeah and uh and give him a position within the the gang, give him a suit give him supplies and and give him the plan to break in to pick this lock to get the beast out also interesting to note there are a bunch of toads in the hallway yep. outside of the beast room. That is some
0: <laughs> exceptional set dressing. Like, why, and, why are all these toads here? Ah.
2: And, and, then from, <laughs> and then to go back to the meta, the last thing I need to talk about from casting, the Beast is played by uh, Bruce uh, Leung, I think mm-hmm. is how you pronounce it. I am probably wrong, but he was actually Stephen Chong's martial arts hero. Oh. Uh, he was a really famous action film director and actor from the 70s and 80s and known as the third dragon after Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan.
0: So like Benny uh, the Jet who, it, who turns up in Gross Point Blank because John Cusack idolized him as a kickboxer.
2: Yeah, it, but he became really unpopular in the 80s because of like a, a visit to China and he ended up like switching careers entirely wow. out of acting and then came back after a 15 year hiatus for this film and yeah. is now still in films. He was actually like in a film film ironically called The Beast
0: last year. <laughs> oh, my Nothing God.
2: to do with this character. But. That would
0: have been, like, imagine going to, well, maybe not the cinema, maybe maybe just renting it and going, oh, my God, The Beast got his own spin-off. Oh, this isn't The Beast.
2: <laughs> but, but he's in it. That's weird.
0: <laughs> Close enough. I mean, that's uh, almost intentional. But um, actually, there's, there's one deleted scene. There's only two deleted scenes in this whole uh, movie. One is a, a different version of where... Uh, the landlord and landlady talk about their son uh, dying in a kung fu uh, fight and the, how they, that it's the whole town going, how do we hold out against these constant attacks? What are we going to do? Maybe we should run. And it's like, it's even more dangerous out there. We should stay. What the hell? And the landlord and landlady say, we will try to protect you. But at the same time, you mentioned the whole joining the axe gang. They, they, they give extra to that bit like he has to go and kiss the ring of um, uh, Brother Sum Brother Sum um, drags him out and says yeah you can you can have a suit and a gun and da 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 da, da. here's your axe and then you know pulls ten um, courtesans, concubines, moles to their feet and says hey and they're all just smiling gorgeous ladies and he's like just take your pick oh like, you know what close your eyes and then whichever girl you remember go with that one and he closes his eyes and it is really bloody obvious who he thinks of Victoria?
2: It's, it's got to be Fong. It's right? Fong.
0: Just Fong's yeah. sad face comes up because he pulled a knife on her to, you know, to, to accentuate his mugging and, you know, flung her back in, in this kind of, um, you know, victim-like sort of grip. And then behind them, there's this poster of, uh, you know, a, a, a famous Chinese um, romance movie, which looks, it's, it's gone with the wind.
1: It's... it's um, face- Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. That's
0: the one. Um, and so he's like, he's holding her and it's it's almost romantic except he's got a fucking knife. And then she's just sort of looking back at him and a tear is coming out of her. It's, it's, it's like, that's a moment where he hates himself and he fucking should hate himself. That is unconscionable. So he, just to illustrate that he is very uneasy in this new position of power. And I think the idea of him getting what he wanted at this stage and then realizing it's not at all what he wanted is is one of the key moments for the film. So, yeah, the beast is just sort of sitting there looking like just this sort of groaty old man in vest and, and boxer shorts with these sandals. And then then it becomes a kind of, uh, you know, let's like, so, I okay, so what do you got, old man? And he just kind of. Shows himself to be a coward as usual, but uh, in a hilarious moment. But then the beast snatches a Magnum from uh, uh, one of the. Want to say crazy? Yeah, the beast snatches a Magnum off of one of the uh, axe gang, and then to illustrate his abilities, puts it to his head and pulls the trigger. And then in the slow motion, reaches up with his other hand and catches the bullet between his two first fingers, and then it says, "Speed is absolutely everything when it comes to kung fu." Which is you know he then proceeds to uh fight the uh landlady and landlord in this almighty brawl, this knockdown, drag out. well, they're going to be able to to handle this, but they they get their asses handed to them. there's a a, a fantastic moment where the landlady is like you know, sees a bell and decides that she can use that as giant bell. And then spends her time like trying to avoid getting punched while bashing the top of it until she can finally create a hole as it sort of caves in the top. And then with the landlord's help, uses it as this enormous fucking amplifier megaphone to blast the beast backwards, which should be that's it. Like that's their most powerful move amplified by a power of 10. That's all they got. And then the beast picks himself back up again and starts wrestling the pair of them. And, well, it's
2: yep. it, there's so much more to that scene because Go they actually it, yeah. showed up at the hideout for the Axe Gang to take them out. They brought that bell. It's a funerary bell. Oh right. They they it's... make a reference to it whenever they they reveal the Beast reveals that they're there. They they have this conversation with the Beast as if the Axe Gang aren't even there, mm-hmm. and they point out the funerary bell that it's supposed to be for Brother Sum, but then they use it against the Beast because they weren't expecting him to be there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, the Beast also is, like, knocked on his ass by that attack. And it's just like, I didn't know that that could even work through a speaker. Like, that's, wow. Like, I like learned something new because the Beast's whole thing is, like, I want to fight the very best Kung Fu masters. It, it's it's like a very specific reference to this concept of like, I will go and fight all of the Kung Fu masters until I have fought the very best one so that I can be the very best kind of feel. When they're trying to hire him and um, hash out
1: price, he's basically saying, if you can find me a, a, a suitable opponent, I'll do it for free. I'll do it for
0: free. Our battle will be legendary.
2: Exactly. And so the... <laughs> he he's very, like, congenial to the the landlord and landlady being like, oh, are you the lost lovers? Like, like d- speaking to these old legends of these kung fu masters, like, l- hidden among the common folk. And so he gets knocked down and he actually uses these, um, I, f- oh, I used to know what they were called. I used to have one. I call actually, this like the Curse record. of
0: the Golden Flower because it's sneaky and terrible, just like that film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're, they're like these little fold-out flower things that also fire darts that are probably poisoned, if I remember correctly, because yeah. they're based on a real thing.
0: Because the um, beast is a kind of a bad loser. Like, oh, okay, you beat me. Well, I've still got one this this left.
2: Yeah. So he does this like extremely underhanded trick. Mm. They they catch the poison darts, but he stabs them with the golden flowers. Yeah. And then they do the big wrestling move, where the the three of them are just like in this tangle at a standstill. And and then it suddenly decides to focus on the fact that there are, like, a hundred other people in this room watching this because all the Axe Gang's there, and now they get to do something.
0: (laughs) And that's when uh, uh, Sing gets, uh, you know, told by Brother Sum, prove yourself, do something, and he gets a bit of wood and uh, smacks... I think, does he smack Brother Sum on the head first, actually? Like, just as as a kind of a, you know, fuck you. Uh, Because Brother Sum like sort of reels backwards bleeding out of his head and does this kind of <gasps> yeah, like just this yeah. rage but also if you look at his face it's a really great reaction from the actor because there's so much fear in there as well he's like i have never been hit in the head with a bit of wood i don't even know what this pain is like what the <laughs> fuck you are dead six thousand ways
2: yeah because <laughs> brother sum is badgering sing like come on take this bit of wood like you know you're our lackey now you can you're expendable like mm. hit hit them like finish this for us and he keeps badgering him and sing is like having second thoughts and then just turns and clocks him one because he's just like shut up like i'm 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 trying to figure out my moral center here Man. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then sing um, Well, you
1: hit the bad guy with a bit of wood that kind of puts you on the right path to
0: your morals but center. no you're right victoria because that is the point when sing decides after feeling like shit specifically for treating fong like garbage, decides, you know what, I am going to do what I consider to be the only right thing I can do here, even though it's going to get, I'm already six different types, 6,000 different types of dead from hitting Brother Sums, so it's in for a penny, in for a pound at this stage. And he <laughs> runs over and bashes the beast in the head with this leg, which immediately shatters and the beast is like... Huh?
2: <laughs> why did you do that? Like,
0: <laughs> like, you're like oh, you really want to die? Okay, that's cool. And then the beast. This might be why it's rated R, because this is fucking brutal, as well as that that bit at the beginning. The beast sort of kicks him up into the air. There's this wonderful bit in the making of where they show the the actor throwing his foot up, and then the the the, the, the foot that we see in the camera is CG, but it's absolutely seamless. Like it basically looks like this completely vertical axe kick that we're looking directly down on, and I cannot see the moment where the real leg flows into this CG leg. It's seamless. It's I mean, like I said, there's millennial rubber in this film, and you can totally see all of this floopy, floaty stuff. But some of the effects are so good that you, you like they're surrounded by floppy stuff, so you don't notice the the really good ones that get past you. And then he just bouncing into the floor so that like his head is at a 180 degree angle behind his body and then just keeps punching into this crater but i think what punctuates this moment is like he sort of pulls his bloodied fist out and sing is somehow still alive just like buried in the floor and just sort of lifts his hand up just holding on a little lolly stick of wood and sort of just taps the beast on the forehead in a kind of, <laughs> no, you know what, that was the right thing to do. Defiance. And it's it's so sweet and sad because he's dead at this point. So I think like if you hated him up to now, you might start to feel a little bit for Sing. Also because... He's one of those guys that like he's a scumbag but he makes you laugh because he's that much of a scumbag and if you laugh at him enough you kind of want to see him come back around.
2: He's also wildly inept which is pretty which is funny in its own yeah. way and uh, he's also a scumbag primarily because of the way that like the system and the other people around him have treated him. Like mm. he's not evil to his core like brother sum is represented he is he is like caught up in this and is trying to do what he thinks is the only way to like survive in an otherwise harsh environment Mm.
1: and also i think the fact that as you say he's inept he keeps um when he tries to do bad things he's terrible at it. it's not as if he's even (laughs) successful at being a bad guy yeah
0: like he, he can't even really hurt fong physically all he can do is hurt her emotionally and that i think is the thing that keeps coming back to him and uh, yeah it's 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 not necessarily something that we have to forgive him for as an audience uh, she ultimately forgives him for it uh, in, in the film
2: seeing doing that gives the opening to the landlord the landlady to escape and they end up taking sing with them
0: yes um, they they get surf him out of the uh, uh, the building and run him along the uh, road to to safety but this does precipitate one of the bits of the film that I'm a little bit. Eh! with, which is something they said earlier, and I was definitely going to pick your brains about this one, Victoria. Um, When the, I think it's the hairdresser that we mentioned before, says, you know, now that the three champions are dead, I'll keep them away, I'll I'll be, you know, I can be a kung fu master just like them. And I think that, was it the landlady or the landlord just clocks him straight in the face and knocks him out, just to illustrate, no, you're not tough enough. They then lay down this particular chestnut. You have to be a natural born kung fu master to be able to achieve this level of greatness. Your midichlorian count must be over well, 9,000 or don't even try.
2: It's, so. it's a little bit different, actually. Okay. Because they're, they're saying that takes a long time and years of training unless you are a natural born Kung Fu master it's not that you cannot achieve that it's that okay, we have okay, three okay. days and unless you are a literal superhero like that is not going to work and you will get yourself
0: killed. That is a nice mitigating factor actually, thank you I'd I'd, I'd forgotten that, the point is that they don't have enough time to train up everybody otherwise yeah. it would be like the Magnificent Seven or, or, or the various kind of so old woman, so Just the kind of getting the village together and training everybody. Let's get down to business.
1: (laughs) Which would be awesome, but would be a different story.
0: Yeah. And also, like, the the point that they're trying to make is that it does take that long. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, actually, if they had trained the town up to be that good in three days, that is actually worse than saying... Um, you can either train for years or be or be fucking super. But I
1: suppose if they were going to take that route, you could have them sort of reluctantly agree to start training everybody, even though they don't think it's going to do any good, and then it rapidly becomes apparent that for some reason everybody born in Pixie Alley is a natural-born country master.
0: <laughs> well, the decision they make is, we'll go to Brother Sum with a bell, yeah. and then we'll kick the shit out of all of them, and hopefully we'll win, and, and, yeah. and then that'll be that. But we'll take the fight... To, to them yeah. So that Pig's Eye Alley is not in danger That is I mean basically While the landlord's a sleaze bag And while the landlady is the, uh, You know This screaming tyrant demon woman They are ultimately protective of those Who uh, are underneath them
2: Yeah Yeah And there's something As we've been talking I've been really formulating this like This this overall theme of mm-hmm. the movie That I think uh, When we're done talking about it I'm gonna It'll be fully formed And I can talk about Ooh, um, Okay that's exciting. But,
0: okay, um, what um, then basically happens is they wrap him in bandages, and like he's covered in this like giant like sarcophagus of gauze. And then just in case that's not on the nose enough, there's a chrysalis that we see just on on screen, and then a beautiful butterfly emerges, and it's like ah, I get what they're, they're doing specific-
2: there. They specifically say that all of his bones and tendons are broken. And, and,
0: just, and then they oh, realign yeah. themselves into perfection for Kung Fu mastery.
2: But we did see earlier in the film that he does have like super, like super regenerative
0: ability. True. Actually that didn't come out of nowhere after the snakes have um, bitten his lips and they're hanging down like a pair of, um, beefsteaks uh, clenched between his teeth. Uh, he's sort of inside a sort of a, a rounded tub atop some traffic lights, and he kind of heals by kind of punching the sides and making these handprints, which when inspected later by Bone, turn out to be very precise kung fu strikes suggesting that it's in there.
2: Yeah, the the landlord and landlady even say right before the big fight, Starts, they're just like, who would have thought that the Beast would have been able to unblock his key like that?
0: Ah, by punching him in the head over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, effectively what they've done is, uh, what the Beast has done is cleared the path. And... Yeah, the, the axe gang then approach and they, uh, like we said before, there's a so, sort of like adoptive nature to the landlord and landlady at this point. They're sort of like, ah, oh, some would have been about that age at this time. So it, it feels like they're passing it on to that. And there's something that was mentioned in the uh, making of a Chinese proverb, uh, which is the new generation is better than the old or some derivation of, thereof. And it's like, that's a really good proverb. And you might want to think about that Chinese government.
2: slash other government. I was
1: just about to say every government in the world could probably have a look at that one right now, please.
0: Anyway, but uh, yeah, I I definitely adhere to that one. And um, I mean, he's 40 when he's done this movie. He's now 60 and he's in great shape in this movie. Seriously. The fight that takes place is effectively uh, a, a one man in the sort of, you know, beautiful white Chinese jacket um, of uh, uh, Sing Versus the whole Axe gang In Pigsty Alley And it's it's very Matrix But in a way that feels like Matrix is very this In that they're drawing from the same source And it yeah. is one of the most spectacular One versus a hundreds I've ever seen Maybe only rivaling Beatrix Kiddo In Kill Bill 1
2: um, They literally call him The One
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like um, Yen Ping sort of came off Matrix Reloaded and said while well, they were making it, okay, it's not out yet but there's this fight. <laughs> and they just pretty much mapped it out so they're like, oh, let's do kind of a, a parody and a reappropriation that, of that. But uh, yeah, it's as it turns out, Sing's first um, special move is to stamp on your foot really, really hard so it turns into a squashed cartoon Elma Fudd shoe. And then do that 80 more times <laughs> it's fucking hilarious to see him sort of dole this, this particular foot stamping out because it's not fatal but it does kind of take out your opponent in in that kind it of is
1: very dramatic yeah, way like they can't now. kick you they could barely stand yeah.
0: <laughs> they could maybe now slip their foot underneath a door mm. if they were to if they were to try <laughs> but it's 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 a flapjack at that stage mm. Um, any any talk on this particular moment of I mean, how does one describe Wu-Ping just? A wonderful just...
2: Catharsis, right, yeah. it's just this wonderful scene of seeing all of these bad people who have been harassing and hurting the characters that you care about for the whole film just getting utterly wrecked. Mm. And it's so cathartically satisfying to watch, and like you said, like quite a, an astounding like scene to observe because it is referencing things like the matrix the things that the matrix itself references and uh uses a lot more wire than cgi which is nice
0: yeah i I pointed out to sharon that uh all the cg and wire work in this would make steve lambert the stunt coordinator of revenge of the ninja and ninja 3 the domination's blood boil like oh, oh, so it's two thousand four. So you're not gonna be using wires, are ya? And it's like, well, that's it's that that's, that's how it's done. There's a Steve. long tradition of that <laughs> in in Hong Kong cinema.
1: What do you think? supposed to do teach themselves to fly
0: (laughs) it's a a different culture i suppose to canon but
1: um, well yes
0: but yeah uh hey
1: why waste money on a freaking crash mat when you don't have to yeah
0: and like i said this is uh 2004 um uh digital effects and they they went round the um the effects artist studio in the uh in the making of and they were all sort of talking to camera like if you could give a message to Stephen Chow, what would it be? Uh, You're great, Stephen Chow. I wish you'd approve things faster. <laughs> it's like, we're sort of making all these effects. Please we just need to know like when we can it move so forward. We can go on. And I, it, it had the whiff of crunch about it because <laughs> there's a lot of digital effects in this thing. Yeah. And um, like I said, some of them look way better than others. But it's almost because of the the cartoon nature that everyone is forgivable like you're never like well that looks too rubbishy and not real like you can't watch the Roadrunner race earlier and go I expect precision reality from this film I want a Christopher Nolan film at this point
1: no you don't
0: Uh, but then the beast makes his appearance and he has this thing called toad stance which is fucking creepy and gross he just kind of like he he trades blows with uh uh sing to begin with and then's like i'm going to have to break out the big guns on this one and toad stance which he didn't even try with the landlord and landlady effectively just means he he sort of crouches on the ground bloats himself like his 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 pants rip and his legs get huge. And he's he's like this grotesque kind of, like something you might find in a Zack Snyder film. (laughs) And this giant bulbous kind of toad throat. And then he, he can either like E. Honda head slam you forwards or leap up and crush you. It's the fact that he kind of dehumanizes himself to do this, though, and just becomes this predatory toad. And then there's a kind of a case of hang on where is he and and so sort of Sing, after being bashed about by him for a while is like glances around and then looks down and the toad is right beneath him. So it's it's frightening the way that this actually comes across.
2: It
1: correct me if I'm wrong because I might be mixing this up with one of the deleted scenes, but is this one of the only scenes where he puts on clothes? The toad? Yeah. Yes. Because in it's the a crappy old scenes, suit. He's wearing like a singlet and and white boxer shorts. Yeah. And he puts on this uh, this outfit, and then it almost feels like, A, why did you bother putting that on if you were going to do toad stance and shred it? And then, B, ah, you did it so that we could see the clothes shred. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Although I think he probably would have been more comfortable in that boiling hot alley in, well, the, yes, in, in, in just his, and his pants and vest. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the... Um, the, actual, the fight sort of throws itself around the place. Victoria, anything on the toad fight before we get to the climax of the toad fight?
2: Uh, no, it just reminds... For whatever reason, it reminds me in a video game, Neo, you fight a giant ninja toad, and it's just like, oh, okay. Like, there's precedent for this somewhere.
0: <laughs> when you said Neo, I thought... The Matrix Path of Neo, which is, uh, do you remember there was a Matrix (laughs) game with Jada Pinkett Smith in it and the guy who played Ghost and it was sort of like, this happened between the Matrix 2 and 3. And then there was another one, which is like, well, that was boring. Let's just do all the Matrix films from Neo's perspective. And then at the the, end, he fights Galactus version of of Agent Smith instead of uh, uh, the actual fight that we got there.
2: Yeah. The, the only good Matrix video game was the MMO. Don't at me, but uh,
0: <laughs> they killed yeah, Morpheus. That's... Those bastards. <laughs> I think he'll come mysteriously back to life in uh, the uh, the uh, fourth oh, God. We could probably be looking for. Like, we would have seen the trailer for the fourth Matrix film. It would be ready were it not for that goddamn COVID. Anyway, <laughs> folks, we're going to be doing Matrix two and three. Don't at me. <laughs> 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 they're better than you remember they're also worse <laughs> but they're also better ok so here's the thing back when we covered the original Kung Fu Panda I just sang the praises of it left right and centre and I love Kung Fu Panda, still do but Brendan, one of uh, our, our very good friends and a regular guest on the show pointed out that Po at the end of Kung Fu Panda effectively destroys Tai Lung and if you look at Tai Lung's backstory, it's kind of sad, and he f- gave in to rage, and he's dangerous to everyone. But there's something about Poe's character that suggests that just destroying him with a pinky um, and just the, the, the big explosion like, Tai Lung never comes back in two or three. He's gone. He might, maybe he turns up in the series. I don't know. But uh, as far as we're concerned, the whooshy finger hold is absolutely fatal. That feels like totally Singh could have done that here to the toad and splatted him. Like he, he ends up getting flung into the air and then he meets Buddha up there in the clouds. It reminded me of the very first episode of uh, uh, Monkey. Remember that where he, he goes up into the clouds, meets Buddha, says he's way better than Buddha. Buddha challenges him to a race to the edge of the universe and then he flies there on a cloud, finds four pillars... ...pisses on them to mark his monkey territory... ...and then it turns out he never even left Buddha's hand... ...and those were Buddha's fingers. Buddha's kind of into it. You know, you're mythical beings, whatever floats your boat. But what Singh ultimately ends up doing... ...is flying back to Earth with Buddha Palm... ...his second amazing move... ...and just flattens the toad... ...and then the toad just about manages to get up again... ...tries the Curse of the Golden Flower... And then he th- flings a horizontal palm of Buddha at him, which blasts him backwards while he's still standing. And it kind of like he's still standing rigid, but like this force rushes through him. Mm. And then it, it uh, Singh is able to then take that flower, open it up, get rid of the needle inside, and then just fly it away like a like a, a, a dandelion head. And the best thing happens, which is that the beast. Looks at his opponent and then kneels and says, Teach me. He is humbled. And he effectively has won through peace. And just being a bigger badass, but he could then easily have killed the beast, but doesn't. And that is that is how Kung Fu Panda should have ended. Tai Lung should have said, Teach me, in a kind of a like, okay. I've been so angry all these years, but I finally met a foe who could defeat me. Uh, I'm humbled hmm. by that. Well,
1: Stephen Chow said in his in his interview that this is a really uh, central part of his personal philosophy, hmm. which is that it is whatever the circumstances, it is better to forgive than to kill.
0: And I think this really resonated with me because I, uh, Tiger's Eye in particular, has a bit in it, which everyone who's read it or listened to it will know exactly what bit I'm talking about, where it could just have been a fight to the death, and it wasn't. It was this measure of forgiveness and uh, humility, and and I I love that as a close. So I feel like uh, for all of the problems that have occurred throughout this, I can forgive it. A lot of the um, the issues that we've uh, mentioned along this time because the ending philosophically speaking uh, is something which uh, I think a, a lot of people need yeah. Victoria, you've got a overarching hang on Sharon. Oh. Do you- Oh, wait before you go, Sharon. <laughs>
1: can I just yeah, can I just say one tiny thing about the uh, that there was something visually about the Buddhist uh, the Buddha palm mm-hmm. that I absolutely love. and i I can't believe it's taken me this many times of watching this film to see it. Mm-hmm. but as he as uh, Singh is falling down to earth, he's holding out his hand and it's like, the, the way this move works is that it utilises artist's perspective. So his hand is held out, and therefore at this distance, the, the beast is small and in the palm of his hand. So the force crushes down and hits him as if...
0: It is that Singh's big.
1: hand was oh. huge. And when he throws oh. it at him horizontally and it takes out that hand shape from the wall, that's it's exactly how much the that hand thing. shape would be it's in the far wall. The perspective. And it just, it's that sort of I'm crushing your head thing, <laughs> um, which I know is a, a real way of trivializing this particular motion. But I just, I love that fact that they are literally using camera perspective to perform this move.
0: Nicely done
1: that's
0: lovely uh victoria your right. your your thoughts that have uh, been slowly percolating here All right.
2: so 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 here's where i make my paycheck for coming on the podcast okay um,
0: <laughs> checks in the mail already
2: <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this so you could take that a greater theme of this movie is actually about community resilience and uh Kind of a mutual aid structure because we have a highly corrupt criminal organization with state backing performing violence on a large community. Uh, that community has within it the resilience and the power of many of its members should they choose to stand up for each other, should they actually choose to work against the corruption in the community, all the way to the point where even the lowliest among them can be the greatest once radicalized uh, from receiving violence. The most efficient fighters that the Axe Gang, the criminal organization, has are themselves kung fu masters which could represent p- members of the community who have been turned to that corrupt way and it is it takes confronting them that, that radicalizes sing and now thinking about the representation of sugar in the teeth so we have sugar being a weird underlying theme in this movie ruining the the teeth of the criminal organization oh my because goodness through, through the over uh, consumption of it but then we have fong who is distributing ice cream to the common people this small bit of resilience this small bit of comfort that she can hand out to everyone where she has held that it, what is important is comfort to the masses that, that you can distribute this and in the end sings great revelation great move against the corrupt state the corrupt backing is to further distribute those resources amongst the population in the form of the candy store it
0: makes a candy store and if you remember when they bring when the landlady and landlord bring him back and he's been shattered uh he's trying to communicate with them but he can't talk and he draws in his draws. own blood on the floor that lollipop -hmm. And And it doesn't, it's like they're asking, what do you need? But ultimately, when it comes down to it, what he needs is forgiveness for this terrible act and self-forgiveness.
2: So, it is a movie where the disenfranchised and the disillusioned stand up and become radicalized against a corrupt, state-backed force. And by standing together, they win.
0: Wow, that's glorious.
2: That is fantastic,
0: and it's all to the tune of Chinese opera. This t- t- joyful kind of uh, celebration of uh, of their form that mm-hmm. they're going through—that's wonderful.
1: Although that does make me think, first you get the sugar, <laughs> then they you hate, get, you get power. the power.
0: No, that's Brother Sum's way of doing it. No, no, he wants exactly. To be the <laughs> that's,
1: that's the act. Chinese monster. Scarface. Oh, yeah, Absolutely.
0: And then, as you say, the the very end is that uh, um, Singh's decision is to open up a candy shop and he... Uh, and Fong spots him and... There's this wonderful shot that turns around them in the street as they're sort of looking at each other and then as it comes back around, they're both children again and they can start from that moment before life came along and fucked them both.
1: Absolutely. And this, I will say, that no matter what mood I've been in for the earlier elements of this film, this is the scene that always, always, always makes me cry. I am such a sucker for this idea of uh, people who have been through... Uh, struggle and torment, having a moment of reverting to the the point in their development before all of that shit happened, and getting to experience a moment of uh, of innocence and being able to let all of that go. And it's um, similar to the scene in La Story. Yeah, where I was going to say that bit garden, with Victoria Tennant, Steve Martin. Same effect on me try. every time.
2: I am just in floods. <sighs>
0: And uh, then it it concludes in this kind of oh, hang on, are you going to say something, Victoria?
2: I was going to say that there's even another meta- contextual level to it. Uh, again, somewhat ironically, because this movie was became the highest grossing film out of Hong Kong until 2011. Good. And it basically twenty eleven. it it was made on a 20 million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. It pulled a lot of people who are in retirement, who used to do this, who used to love this, pulled them back into the scene, many of whom are still acting to this day and giving them another chance. So it's it's like taking this community that has been lost, pulling them in. It single-handedly is considered to have saved the Hong Kong film industry at the time because it was like kind of shaky as to whether or not it was even going to be able to maintain itself as an industry. And then this movie came out, made just a ton of money compared to its budget and revitalized the the like Hong Kong action cinema. And so there there's even a meta level of that story that I think is just so delightful.
0: If you go to uh, You Are the Apple of My Eye was the 2011 film that finally outstripped it. That means Kung Fu Hustle is still the third highest grossing of the domestic Hong Kong uh, films. The uh, The first highest grossing Cold War 2, a 2016 uh, crime thriller. Huh. Okay. So,
2: yeah, this movie has a huge handprint,
0: perhaps. Ah, Oh, uh, did you spot number four? Shaolin Soccer.
1: (laughs) <laughs>
0: and but after that, police story 4, First strike, mm-hmm. not the best police and story. 4. Stephen
1: Chow directed uh, the ninth in this t- the list, which CJ is CJ 7. seven. So he so he has three of the top ten performing Hong Kong movies. Number six,
0: Rumble in the Bronx, which is a Jackie Chan movie. Again, not one of his best, but maybe the first one that made America go, okay, this is Jackie Chan. So what what can we? How can we make money off him? <laughs> Just pre-rush hour. Um, And uh, number seven, Infernal Affairs. You may know it as The Departed. Uh, And um, any other ones that are particularly good? Uh, Oh, Ip Man 2 at 17. Again, not the best Ip Man film. Oh, and Drunken Master 2 at 22. That uh, That is called Legend of the Drunken Master in the West. If you want to see Jackie Chan in his absolute prime, Legend of the Drunken Master... And the last shot of the movie is that mystical cat weasel fellow comes out of nowhere and finds a literal snot-nosed brat. It's this kid sucking on a lollipop with this green gunge coming out of his nose. It's disgusting! I had flashbacks of those fucking robot babies from License to that Wet. doesn't look healthy. I'm not going to scream, folks. But uh, yeah, so this kid's looking at him and, and he's like, oh, I just need your life savings and if you don't want this one book, I've got more and then shows loads more. And it's like, he says that this kid is special, which again, suggests that the next generation can maybe uh, go forth. But again, the fact that this kid is so odious looking, you're like, you couldn't expect for this thing to hatch into a beautiful butterfly. So, I suppose it's just don't underestimate kids. Because the whole movie is don't underestimate these people. that's that's what it is. So rather than ask you where your best stuff is, like I always do, I'm going to ask all three of us to name a movie that folks could go to after having seen this one. Uh, it could be a Chinese language film, it could be a martial arts film, doesn't necessarily have to be Kung Fu, but just something tangentially related.
1: I am going to say and House it, of Flying Daggers.
0: Ah, I was going to say it can't be one of the ones we've already done like uh, Crouching Tiger no. or Hero, but we haven't done, we House, haven't of done House of Daggers Flying Daggers yet. We haven't
1: done House of Flying Daggers and House of Flying Daggers is just so visually stunning. Mm. And the costumes, and the, the colours, and the the set design, and the cinematography. And
0: how heartfelt it is, and, and how personal it absolutely, feels. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Everything about it is just amazing. And Dazzling. anything with Xi uh, Zhang.
0: Honestly, I feel like this is even more of a showcase of her talents than Crouching Tiger. Yes,
1: I agree. She gets more to do, and she gets more in terms of, of sort of it's not necessarily that the character is more heartfelt but she gets to do more with it because yeah. uh, Jen in um, Crouch and Tiger is quite restrained mm. um and May is much more of a um a, a romantic heroine
0: yes yeah um, we will almost certainly do this at some point if you folks want to commission it when we are put our next window you can shunt that one to the front of the queue mm-hmm. it's sometimes tough for us to like pull in these serious dramatic films because they wreck us sometimes mm-hmm. and this one potentially would um, so yeah that would be uh, house of flying daggers from uh, Sharon mm-hmm. uh, Victoria
2: House of flying Daggers is a really good call actually ah. I just I forgot about that but no 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 my, I'm going to pull something really out there. Have you ever seen or heard of Bali? It's actually an Indian blockbuster.
0: I'm going to check this one out. Bah- oh, wait, How wait. wait. I, got, I have it.
2: a scene to send you. Okay, cool. So, I'm going to drop in the chat. It is It is like less than a minute. It is a, it, it is an Indian blockbuster that I need to watch. I haven't actually seen the whole thing, but it has a, a, a very similarly cartoony action aesthetic to Kung Fu Hustle. It was actually recommended to me on Netflix because I had watched um or uh, recommended to me on Amazon because I had watched uh Shaolin Soccer. Oh my goodness. This clip. So, so oh my describe, lord. Yeah. Describe the, the clip that Alex and Sharon are watching, it is six dudes walking up Onto a tree that they have tied down to the ground, Looney Tune style. And they all have these big shields and they, it's just like super serious. They all grab hands, they cut the rope and the tree launches them through the air and they form a ball with the shields, like a cylinder to smash over the wall of the city that they're sieging. It is amazing.
1: That is incredible. And I think I recognize that actor as well that lead so, guy we'll we'll check yeah. that out but that looks
2: so, that is specifically, so funny that is specifically bahubali 2 yeah um which is on netflix and i haven't again i haven't watched the whole thing i can't attest to it being good but i know it has a very similar action aesthetic as kung fu hustle all
0: right okay thank you B. so folks that is b-a-a-h-u-b-a-l-i And I'm going to go with uh, another Yen Wuping film, actually directed by him. Uh, Whenever people mention It Man uh, and they say, I have not seen any of them, uh, I kind of want to say, just do. They're really good. The first one's not the best. The second one might not be the best. The fourth one's definitely not the best. The third one might be the best. Uh, And I, I think the third one has the best fight scene. But of all of them, the one that you could just sit down and watch... Without really having seen any of the others, and just appreciate for a magnificent martial arts film set in the 40s in the same, similar kind of time, uh, um, featuring Dave Batista as the big bad uh, Western villain who, like, as, as with all films in the Ip Man franchise, uh, it's always about them coming in and fucking the place up. And then, luckily, Wushu and Chinese Spirit saves the day. It's Master Z. It is magnificent. Michelle Yeoh is a co star in it and she is just wonderful and it showcases the abilities of Max Zhang who was one of the guys who fights uh, Ip Man in Ip Man 3 and he's effectively because he was beaten trying to kind of live that down and get back to a, a decent life and it becomes difficult because of organized crime so it's kind of like a more a much more serious version of Kung Fu Hustle but it's it's got these dazzling set pieces and just some of the most amazingly perfectly coordinated fights that flow like water and this is the first time that uh, you might have seen the uh, trailer potentially where um, somebody said that uh, a a fight with kung fu should be a conversation and michelle yo puts down a glass of uh, no he's a waiter and he brings her a glass of whiskey at a, a club and Uh, puts it on the table and she says, it's not for me, it's for you. And then she shoves it with her hand so it's about to go off the table and then he drops his hand down and shoves it back and then they sort of move it around the table with their hands and effectively she's trying to see what he can do and the whole thing takes place wordlessly. It's magnificent and that's just one moment in this exceptional film. We're almost certainly going to do a show on it. So, you have your homework, folks. It's Bahubali 2... Not one. (laughs) If you see one, if you see three, we'll send it back. Um, Sharon has said House of Flying Daggers. Sharon has said House of Flying Daggers, and I have said Master Z, which, if you've not seen Kung Fu Hustle, gives you, I'd say, a good weekend of martial arts films from afar. of Various different tones as well. So it's it's that's a lovely mix for you, folks. We got, you know, some much stronger in comedy, some much stronger in drama, some that will make your heart ache, and some that are just ridiculous. Thank you so much to Victoria for once again gracing this show with your insight and elevating us so high up in the sky that we can virtually bounce upon an eagle on tippy toes.
2: Oh, I'm always happy to introduce you to the Buddha of movies. <laughs>
0: And we will be back next week talking about a little video game that came out last year. I don't think anyone mentioned it. It's called Hades. You may have heard of it. So that's what you're getting in seven days' time. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And Hustle complete. Complete. School of Movies is funded and kept going by Patreon. We wouldn't do it without you folks. And as always, our top sponsors get a shout out in every episode. So thank you to Aaron Lecuse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman. David Shealy Duran Barnett Evan Jankowski Finbar Nicole Frankie Punzi, Greg Dowling Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson Joe Gusega Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clayson Joe G who co-sponsored this episode along with Alex Vargas Kat Essman Kevin Veley Lorraine Chisholm Mark Lux Matthew A. Siebert Matthew Webb Michael Hasko Scott Jacob Sarah Montgomery Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.